Nerd. Next play. I'll show you the pigeon drop. We already did that. Twice. And the Tulsa bag scan. And the looky loop. I want to do a big one. You want to do a big what? A big con. It's called a long con. Okay, a long con. How does it work? It works by getting someone to ask you to do something like it's their idea. It's not their idea. It's your idea. King don't change his stripes, and neither do we here on Down the Hatch, talking about Season 2, Episode 13 of Lost, The Long Con. I'm joined here by a man who knows a thing or two about the pigeon drop. It's Mike Bloom joining me, Josh Wigley. Mike, how you doing, my friend? I'm more of a looky-loo person myself, but you know what? I could do a good pigeon drop if the time calls for it, if I'm really strapped. Yeah, uh, I feel like uh, the looky-loo looks pretty good on you. Yeah, you know what? I think a looky-loo doesn't necessarily suit everybody, but uh, what was it? the Tulsa bag drop or the penny drop? I or love your penny drop. Not my style. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. it. Maybe there's another uh, flashback that was never shown where Sawyer tried to con Penny Whitmore, coining it the penny drop. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. So much to talk about here, Mike. So I feel like we're talking about an underrated classic episode of Lost, the the mm. long con. The only Sawyer flashback episode we get in season two. Uh, one of the final Sawyer flashbacks we get ever. There's there's two more wow. still to come. Uh, and that's it. If you count LaFleur as a flashback, which I think you should. Uh, and I know one of them is like one of your very favorite episodes of Lost. Uh, no, 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 no. It contains one of my favorite lines that's in it, Lost. That's it, that's it, that's it. Don't put the black horse before the cart with the jack wearing a white that's hat it, here, That's it, that's it. That's the, that's the thing that I needed to be reminded of. But here's the long con, and I think that this is uh, the best episode of, uh, of Lost from a Sawyer-centric standpoint. That's my hot take on the long con. Ooh. That's the headline. That's the garbled headline that I think that this is the best Sawyer episode of Lost is the long con. Uh, and it's a feeling I've had for a long time, but then like the more and more we were getting closer to it, the more I was thinking, like, uh, is like the Charlie stuff really going to bother me a lot? Like, is, am, am I overhyping this for myself? Uh, is this actually going to be a little bit weaker than I thought? And no, this just feels like kind of, kind of has like a season one vibe to it here in the mm-hmm. middle of season mm-hmm. two. And uh, I love season one so much. I love that raw energy that Lost brings, and it's very alive here uh, in the long con with a really terrific Josh Holloway performance, um, a story that really uh, works best on first viewing without knowing what the end result of it is going to be. But you, Oh, interesting. I think you could really appreciate it a lot on repeat viewings, um, but just like a twisting and turning fun little Sawyer lark, and it's just... It's just a freaking blast, man. I love the long con, and I'm really thrilled to dig into it today. 
See, it's interesting that you say a first watch might be the best way to enjoy it, because I actually feel this might be one of the rare episodes of Lost where you have to pull the Johnny Locke and immediately say, we have to watch that again. Because I feel like this is essentially Lost version of a heist episode, where we are sort of going along and trying to get things from multiple characters' perspectives as to what's going on when it turns out that we have been tricked just as much as John Locke Jack Shepard and the entirety of 815 as we get, you know, in Act 4 over there. And one thing that I personally really appreciate about this episode, first let me say that I agree with you, this is an episode that I largely had forgotten. Maybe it's because of the placement, it's smack dab in the middle of middle 2, and we are going to get starting next week into a very, very big part of not only Season 2, but Lost in general. Yeah. I, I also feel like it coming right after Fire Plus Water, I think people sort of couple the two episodes as like, well, here's so- here's Charlie and Sawyer going back to their Season 1 selves. But I think I've gained more appreciation, especially going through this season, of the fact that this episode is not Sawyer necessarily reverting back to Confidence Man Sawyer, even if the skeletons might look a bit similar with like, oh, Sawyer has, you know, he wants power, so he gets access to this item and is kind of a jerk about it. You get to see how Sawyer has been demonstrably changed by what's happened so far, but as a result of his own personality and behaviors, which we've talked about in previous episodes, that makes him change his behavior back to, as Kate says, making everyone hate him. But on a repeat viewing, I really like watching this knowing what the ending is, because if you study it as, like, a con, Sawyer does a sublime job at really throwing everyone, including his closest confidants, for a loop and getting them to, as the intro said, do what he wants while thinking it's their idea. Right. Um, And I think also in terms of how it interacts with Sawyer's character development, this was something I was worried about, too, was like, is this just regressive for regression's sake? And no, I actually think that this is a pretty necessary moment for Sawyer, who, like, this is, like, demonstrating for us, like, the ebbs and flows of his life off the island before he came to the island, that Sawyer ends the episode by saying, I'm not a good person, Charlie, I've never done a good thing in my whole life. Uh, and that's just not true. Like, he was kind to Cassidy right. for much of it, even if they were, you know, doing, like, shitty things to other people. Like, he he genuinely loved this woman. You see at the end of the flashback that he genuinely does not feel good about what he he's doing but it's just like it's it's what he keeps reverting back to that's sort of just like anytime he is he is close to feeling loved by someone like he does something like this and it's just the it's the the kicked dog syndrome that he talks about yep. with, with jack at the end of exodus uh or at the end of exodus part one i don't even know if it's the end i think it's like the middle of exodus part one uh and he's he's demonstrating that for us here on the island here and that that moment where he talks to charlie just sort of like the the heaviness in his voice there where, yeah, he succeeds without a hitch because like it's sort of like what Anna Lucia says. These people aren't scared enough. I think it's almost like these people aren't on alert enough for Sawyer. They're not scared of Sawyer enough to see him coming if he's willing to do all the things he's willing to do to get the guns, to get the heroin, to get everything from the armory. And yeah, he has the capabilities of doing it, but it's like it's like fish in a barrel for him. This is almost too easy. Uh, and and I think by the end of the episode, when Charlie like brings that up and and Sawyer responds to him, like it's just us getting to see firsthand what it's like when Sawyer is is reverting back to this thing and who he really is underneath that hood. Uh, and I love that about him, and I think that it it, it is a really strong. like regressive on the face of it, but actually I think pushing the character further forward somehow. Yeah, no, I, I think it's not regressive and it's like Sawyer has unlearned every sort of piece of character growth. This does not undo outlaws. 
for example. And that's what makes it so interesting is that I think, you know, from a character-based perspective, you have certain base behaviors you go back to, right? And I think from Sawyer's perspective, I wonder how much the idea of him returning to the island and all the Walt stuff also sort of made him... I wouldn't say go to the whole tabula rasa of it all, but also maybe uh, make things seem more futile of him becoming a, coming a changed person. Because like on the raft, it did seem like despite the way he was sort of uh, coming off to Walt and Michael, he did seem like somebody that was going to be a team player and wanted to get off the island. And when all that went south and he ended up returning back here, I wonder if part of him thought like, well, this is a sign that, you know what, maybe all I'm good for doing is being a bad person. And, you know, as much as you might be thinking he has a second lease on life from living through a septic shock, it turns out that, as he mentions many times, a tiger can't change his stripes. He, he talks about it later on with Kate, you know, you run Icon. This is a guy who, in the very first episode in the pilot, was saying everyone has their role to play. So I think this is not necessarily a regression, as much as so is a reminder of the core beliefs that this character holds. And no matter what the progression may be, there are occasional glimpses back into it, but I would also say this episode is a lot of occasional glimpses right. forward as well, because I would make the argument, Josh, my hot take for the episode is this is the episode where James Sawyer Ford becomes a main character of Lost. I think this is an episode where the speech that he makes uh, is meta for a number of reasons, but one of them is them him essentially telling both the people on the beach and the audience, look... I should be taken seriously. Look how scary and threatening I can be. And while I think we all love Sawyer in season one, I would not say he was much of a main character as, you know, for example, the people who went on the dynamite trip. And now I don't think it's coincidental that this season's going to end with another trip out into the jungle and Sawyer's going to be part of that. Well, gang. I think what it's doing is like, uh, like Jack and John are often like the two leaders who are butting heads and Kate is often in the midst of some of the main, main protagonist action. But Sawyer is somebody who is like at like the Saeed level, the Hurley tier uh, at best. And what Hurley, uh, what, what Sawyer is announcing in this episode is like, uh, this is not a binary equation. This is not like you're the man of faith or you're the man of science and you're following one of those two guys. Like, I'm a disruptor as well. I'm somebody to be reckoned with. I'm somebody with a voice here. And I'm here to say, like, you don't just have to take orders from these guys, but you might have mm -hmm. to take orders from me. Uh, and, and I do think that that is it's disruptive to this idea of the two poles. Um, I, I don't think that in like the long run, it necessarily plays um, in terms of like Sawyer becomes like the central figure of Lost by any stretch of the imagination. But the Sawyer arc ends up being, in large part, um, how somebody who is so externally selfish and who, who plays that role, uh, who does so many things seemingly just for themselves, um, how that person can be capable of great, great change and excellent leadership. And there's going to be a lot of other uh, strides that need to be made before we really get him into that season five seat uh, where he really pushes forward. Um, but this is, I think, an important step is like making everyone, quote unquote, hate him again, as Kate's going to say at the end of the episode. Um, I think that that's very, very key to to getting Sawyer to where he's going to go. So let's not waste any further time. Let's let's dive into the episode. Let's go forth into the jungle. Oh, yeah. Because uh, this is a great episode. We've got a lot to talk about. We, of course, have some feedback to get into as well, which you can send to us every week down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Um, let's talk Long Con, directed by Roxanne Dawson. It's written by Leonard Dick and Stephen Maida. Originally aired February 8th, 2006, and it centers... Oh, 
Just in time for Valentine's Day. Yeah, very Day. close. Getting close. Uh, very tough Valentine's Day uh, topics here as Sawyer's just like ruining a poor woman's life. Uh, centers on James Sawyer Ford. Uh, we've got a Down the Hatch series Bible entry on uh, the first appearance of Cassidy Phillips, a.k.a. Kim Dickens, the great Kim Dickens showing up. Uh, this comes courtesy of Spencer Y. Of course, these Down the Hatch series Bible entries are often uh, off the mark. Uh, so let's see what Spencer cooked up for Cassidy. Uh, Spencer writes, clever, adaptive, and tough. Cassidy grew up as a street smart person, having to fend for herself while growing up in a low-income household. Due to her inability to convince and coerce, she financially supported herself by being a grifter. To get a clean restart to her life, Cassidy took on a brand new name and identity as Madison. She, she became a high school guidance counselor, got married to a man with surname of Clark, and had two children named Nick and Alicia. However, a desire for thrill and excitement resurfaced within Cassidy after years of enduring a stable lifestyle. This led to Cassidy's newest scheme to schmooze, marry, and divorce a wealthy man. Unfortunately for Cassidy, her scheme would get foiled and her mundane life would get unexpectedly disrupted forever by a suave southern codman. So this is a reference to Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. She's Madison Clark on Fear the Walking Dead. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate it. I, I, I cannot really, uh, I can acknowledge the reference. I have not partaken in that show, mm-hmm. but uh, I think it'd be a very interesting lifestyle if we get sort of like a uh, a prime universe version of Doctor Linus to see a previous Cassidy being a, a teacher, a guidance counselor, and then she t- ditches the entire thing to get with Sawyer. Have you ever met anyone named Cassidy in your life? It's one of those, much like Sawyer, one of those last name, first name. I guess technically I have. I've interviewed a Cassidy, uh, but I don't know that I've met any Cassidys like in a meaningful way other than just like professionally like that. Um, I'm sure there's some Cassidys out there. Okay, Cassidy Nation, sign off. It's an interesting name. I'm not going to cast judgment on it one way or the other. I just think it's a very, very interesting uh, name. Cassidy the Vampire from Preacher. Okay, is that the one who has the butthole in no, his face? No, that's our, that that's our space. Oh, okay, well, that makes more that's sense. That's easier, right? <laughs> Easy to yeah, remember than Cassidy. His name is our space. Cassidy's the vampire. Uh, Cassidy here showing up on Lost. Uh, first appearance on Lost. Uh, first opportunity to really talk about her here on Down the Hatch. This is Sawyer's baby mama. Uh, this is Clementine's mom. Uh, and also great friend of Kate Austin. Uh, lots of different Kate connections in this episode, too. This is another great episode that's doing some work in terms of, like, threading those behind-the-scenes uh, little... Uh, the, the mural that is uh, being uh, painted here in terms of everybody's connected, man. Mm. Yeah, who knew that Diane Jansen was such a sassy waitress? Who Napu. All right, let's get into the episode, and we begin... In the armory, and there's Jack and John, and they're they're bringing the 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 handguns in. They've got one box of ammo. They're going to be fine on ammo for a while. Um, and Jack wants the combination to the armory. He wants to know how to get in here. Uh, he wants to make sure that he's got access to the armory. Uh, I guess before that, there's the there's the whole exchange about the Virgin Mary statues filled with heroin. And Jack's mm-hmm. like, "You're just going to leave the statues like that?" And Locke's like. Yeah, I'm not going to break seven Virgin Marys. You could do that. You're not the man of faith. Like, that's totally fine if you want to be that guy. It's on my card, Jack. (laughs) Why don't you, why doesn't your science break it? Yeah, break it with science. Uh, Which I thought it was a nice way of being like, we don't want to get rid of the Virgin Mary statues. Those are good props, you know? Yeah, and I would also say, as much as uh, we might maybe have questioned the, uh, the the choice for Locke to lock up the heroine, 
I mean, it's going to come into prominence there. Don't they give... They give it to Libby, right? I think to ease yes, the pain as she correct, dies, the correct, heroine. Correct, correct. Uh, yeah, because uh, she does not get uh, killed outright when Michael shoots her. She takes a, a good bit of time before she passes. And so they, they yeah. soothe her with the heroine. Yeah, so you know what? I guess Jack does get uh, does have to break a statue there. And then, and I assume the rest imploded with the hatch. So the hatch... Uh, I don't know. The the island was the one that was less superstitious because it broke all the Virgin Mary Absolutely. statues. Sans yes, Juan. Uh, Sans Juan Dulcer. Sorry, I don't know why I keep going back to that. <laughs> yeah, you're just like just connecting back to another. <laughs> well, island. often I bring Hunapu back into it. Anyway, so so Jack asks John for the combo, uh, and Locke like seems a little like aggrieved by this. He says, I assume you're asking me because you're worried that I might fall off a cliff or something, and it's irresponsible for any only one of us to have access to this room. And Jack says, well, there are a lot of cliffs on this island, John, including the <laughs> fact, one I will kick you off at the uh, yeah. end of this whole show. Also the one that you helped me off yeah. of uh, in episode five. Also the one that you said Boone fell off yeah. of, but he actually did it. So It's like, wow, this know, is word... loaded. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, who knew that the, these two who? men had such like, yeah. <laughs> these two men have such a, uh, uh, have so much of a cliff association. But yeah, I mean, this episode again i really like watching this in retrospect because they do plant a lot of seeds of like naturally simmering tensions that exist between i'd say the main four characters of Locke, jack kate and anna lucia where like some of them trust each other you know some do really don't trust each other and this is a good reminder of like jack and Locke are begrudging partners in this where they're working together but they still fundamentally view things a bit different they can agree on some things and and sometimes they don't like Locke. You know, feeling that, okay, we're going to institute sort of like a nuclear submarine turnkey system where, okay, I'll give you the combination, but we both need to agree on getting into the armory. Not like I'm going to break that rule immediately later that day or anything. Yeah, and uh, obviously that that uh, agreement could be violated by a single French operative, buck naked, uh, twisting the key with both his hand Uh and his foot simultaneously. Good thing Danielle Russo doesn't come (laughs) until next episode. Uh, If we're tracking the characters a little bit, then of course we know that uh, in this episode we'll we'll put it front and center. Jack is thinking about shoring up an army to go after the others, even though I guess like no one's biting. So maybe it makes sense that the armor thing. You know what? They got got Steve and they got the big guy near Side I thought they got Scott. Oh no, Scott's dead. Steve's a leave. Uh, Steve's a leave. Exactly. Uh, so, so Jack, like that's where Jack's coming from. That's why he wants access to the armory. It's important to him to to be looped in on this and make sure that he's got access to the guns in case he decides to make a move. And like you say, he and Locke have a shaky truce. Like they don't necessarily fully trust each other. And I think for Locke, as we're tracking him, this is the guy who just beat the shit out of Charlie very publicly. Uh, and I think that we reflected in our Fire Plus Water recap that Locke is at a place where he is like as furious with his own circumstances, his own failings as anything. And I think he does not like being challenged here. He's like, this is, this is supposed to be my terrain. This is my turf. Uh, how, how dare you come and challenge me on this one? Uh, and I think like the House of Cards is going to crumble for Locke over the course of this season. And I think if a Jenga tower, if you prefer, I think last week knocked uh, an important peg out. Uh, and this week is another one. Uh, that Locke is just, yeah. like, becoming less and less sturdy as we go. And I'll argue next week when Jack flat out, you know, holds Locke exactly. down and is yeah. like, let's just, let's see what happens when the button is impressed. That is just the whole thing coming toppling down. So, yeah, this is a, an, another thing that this episode does is sort of set up little tiny seeds to be uh, planted as soon as the next episode and further down the line. So, again, not only does this set up the two of them arguing on the beach later on as to, you know, who got Sawyer in possession of the guns, 
but it's also a great reminder of like, yeah, these two guys don't necessarily see eye to eye. It's been a truce for long enough, but clearly things are starting to uh, bubble to the surface. But it is interesting for the first time in what seems like basically since whatever the case may be, Jack finally takes the Goldurn key to the Halliburton case off of his neck. Yeah, it's gone. And it was such fine jewelry, too. It was working for him. You know, like so much so that I didn't even notice it at a certain point. The most prominent thing I think we've seen since whatever the case may be was what? When it was attracted to the fillings wall. <laughs> the fillings uh, wall. Back in, <laughs> yeah, back in Man of Science, Man of Faith. So, yeah. So, I mean, I guess R.I.P. Key that also gets destroyed along with the Virgin Mary statues. But it's a nice little, uh, nice little memento from season one that Jack feels like he doesn't necessarily need anymore. And maybe that's also a symbol of him putting trust in Locke, too. Right? He always wore that key around his neck because... It had gotten taken before, and he wanted to make sure that he was the one who had sole possession of the weapons. He is sort of abdicating trust to Locke in that moment, but as you said, not too much, considering that he also wants the combination. So Sawyer uh, at the beach is going to be bringing a little bit of the feelings wall to Charlie. Uh, as he confronts Charlie, we get a, like a little repeat of uh, Sawyer coming out of the water, this time more modest. He's wearing his boxers. Oh, yeah. I mean, Liz, I'm, he's finally figured it out. Okay, he's not naked, and he's not in jeans. He finally figured out the perfect thing to swim around in. So, Sawyer, it took you a month and change and a, a near-death experience, but we're happier on the yeah, other side. Yeah, but then he hops from those, uh, those uh, soaked-up boxers straight into his jeans. So he's going to be running around with a, with a mushy bottom for the rest of the day. Do you think that's why he is so, like... You know, he, he's so uh, misanthropic to everybody today. He's like, ah, I, just, I got sand in my trousers. Yeah, he's very raw. I put on my jeans too quickly. I didn't want to dry yeah, off. Yeah, very raw. He should have changed. Uh, he could have used uh, a you all everybody. Uh, would have been would have been better. <laughs> I mean, maybe he was going to. Not to, to put that image realized, in your head, Mike, of, uh, of no, Sawyer in, a, in a diaper. I don't know. If there's anybody in the world that can pull it off, maybe it's Josh. A tiger don't change his stripes, Mike. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. Don't make me put one in your yeah. ear and your girl too. In your eye. Uh, all right. So yeah. So Sawyer's just like giving uh, Charlie a little bit of the razzmatazz. Like, oh, isn't it just like a woman? She keeps the house. You get a cheap ass apartment. Uh, he's mocking Charlie for everything that happened in Fire Plus Water. He's the new most hated person on the beach. He's giving him the boon treatment from back in the day. I was going to say it's a very, very white rabbit. But also, it's a step further in that Sawyer is really digging into Charlie's particular choice to like, wow, you pissed Locke off so much that he hit yeah. him. Him. that's like getting Gandhi, Gandhi to, to hit kids, his yeah. kids uh even though i also think that shows that sawyer uh, again does not know a lot about Locke at this point and one of them is he has no idea about the anger problem that this man has been manifesting throughout his time yeah the they island. just haven't had a lot of time together so yeah it, w- it would make sense that he would think of Locke more like a gandhi um obviously the scene exists because the episode is going to have Charlie being an instrumental role in the long con, but we don't know it. But you have to have Charlie as a player on the board in some capacity, otherwise it comes completely out of nowhere. Uh, so Charlie, the Charlie scene exists here specifically for that reason, is to like establish that Sawyer knows that Charlie screwed up, remind the audience Charlie is in the doghouse with everybody right now, uh, and just remind the audience that doghouse Charlie is a thing, uh, so that when he shows up at the end of the episode, it makes some semblance of sense even if it's a really bad look on Charlie Pace. Yeah, and I would also say that it's it's a good sort of character moment for Sawyer as well. We talked about this again during White Rabbit with Boone of like, when Sawyer's telling you this, you know it's bad. And him sort of like uh, saying, hey, you know, I can call you a bad person because I am one. I think it's nice little bookends to scene as well with these two sort of hated characters, at least from an island perspective. 
So I'm a bit confused with like the geography of 815 camp because I thought that, you know, Charlie was camping out on the outskirts. Like I thought he was, you know, at least half a football field away. And the camera swings around when Charlie says like, hey, they're going through your stuff to reveal that what they're like 25 feet away uh Sawyer's tent so I guess while Charlie has been relegated to the outskirts of camp I guess they're fine sort of keeping him within Anna Lucia territory yeah right? I guess so uh like I don't know I don't think that like anyone has decided like Charlie you can't live here anymore but like you do have to stay away from Claire is the thing um yeah so it's, it's like a an, an invisible restraint an invis- order that's enforced by <laughs> that's Locke. right that's right uh, but Charlie's gonna give some sass back to Sawyer and say, shouldn't you be less worried about me and more worried about Jack ransacking your tent? And we go and we see that Jack is in Sawyer's tent, and Sawyer is not happy about it. Uh, you're stealing from my stash, and Jack's like, yeah, but your stash, uh, was divvied up amongst people, and it was in the hatch. And he's like, yeah, but this is my stuff. My stuff. Uh, and he's really not thrilled with Jack. He says, Doc, you don't want to do this. This is your last chance. Give me the pills. We'll forget this ever happened. And Jack gives him a little bit of the cornholio. Are you threatening me? Uh, and Sawyer says, last chance. I am going to go get TP for my bunghole. Yeah, well, that's what Sawyer needs. Uh, and so <laughs> Jack is going gonna, is gonna to walk away, and Sawyer is going to glower, straight up you know, staring daggers into the man. Uh, as we go to Lost, and like, if that's not a cue that uh, Sawyer's going to be fairly dangerous in this episode, then what is? And I think it's very impressive of the episode's construction. At least for me, I don't know how many other people out there uh, uh, were successfully conned by Sawyer in this episode in the audience, but I'll never forget the first time watching this episode. Like, it never occurred to me once that Sawyer was pulling one over on everybody. Uh, but yeah. here it is. Like, this is the moment where he's saying, like, don't do this, Doc. And clearly, this is the moment that the rest of the episode hangs on, where Sawyer's like, people just don't take me seriously anymore. I'm just falling in line behind the hatch crew. And what the hell? Like, you took my stuff. Like, that's what the whole thing yeah. is about. It's that he wants things to go back to the way they were. And it's clear the discovery of the hatch has created a new normal and has set apart a new world for order. For the story as well as for the show. Yeah, and but that in which he is not as large of a part. You know, some the thing about Confidence Man was that he had a certain amount of power for the first like ten episodes of the season, considering that he was the one that held all the things. And the fact that his things were redistributed and specifically brought to this new location, I can imagine had him seeing red a bit. Again, if he wants to play a role in this camp, his role was just underwritten by this entirely new concept. So, I mean, this probably this part of the episode probably feels the most like season one story to the point where I feel like we had this exact same conversation in Confidence Man of like, you can't go through my stash, you can't take my things, you don't have a sash anymore, are you threatening me, Doc? Like, all that type of stuff. But, again, like we said, it, it's an important reminder of how territorial and possessive Sawyer is, especially now that he has returned to what seemed like a sense of normalcy back at camp only to realize it's everything but and so josh is your assumption then that this is sort of the the instigator this is when he starts formulating the plan yeah i think so i I mean like a lot happens obviously in between this and the next time you see sawyer on the island because he has to have had his conversation with charlie uh which is why like i'm angrier with charlie than i am with sawyer in this episode because like this is all in character for sawyer but charlie like attacking son in the jungle is no small thing. And, yeah, and, he, and he could have used the points. You know, he could have used the points. Attacking Sun in the jungle is no small thing. And when you think about the amount of time 
that it took for Sawyer to get uh, furious with Jack. And the next time you see Sawyer, he's going to be like settling in for a read with with Kate, right? Uh, and it's going to be when it starts pouring rain there that they're together and Charlie has already gone off to sun. So between this scene of Sawyer watching Jack walk off and the next time we see Sawyer uh, cleaning his camp, he's already gone to Charlie and be like, so here's what I'm going to do. Hear me out. Tell me if this sounds fun to you. And Charlie's going to be like, yeah, I'm in. So in that short period of time, Charlie's going to sign off on like, yeah, sure, I'll beat up, son. Like, screw you, dude. <laughs> to quote Reem Daly, like, that's not cool at all, man. That happens so fast. That needs to take a little bit more arm twisting for you to get on board with bagging son. Uh, so I'm, I'm more upset with Charlie than I am with Sawyer, even if Sawyer's plan, while very impressive, is also very shitty. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, what was the pitch? Because, you know... Charlie's going to say at the end of the episode that he did it not necessarily to get his fix, but more so to embarrass Locke. But it seemed like Sawyer didn't know that. Like, it seemed like he approached him with yeah, the idea. If, of like, if he oh, sketches out the arc of the idea and Charlie is smart enough, and if we want to assign enough intelligence to that character and enough creativity to that character, he can be like, oh, this is going to piss off John Locke. Right. But also, if you get caught kidnapping son... That's also going to get pissed off. Very bad. That's very, very bad. Uh, So that is the least believable part of the episode for me is that he would sign off on doing that to Sun so quickly. I don't necessarily, uh, especially with Charlie and the state that he's in, it makes a level of sense to me that he would be coming after Sun in this way with Sawyer, you know, backing him as it's all part of this plan to get back at Locke. But for him to agree in what must have been like five minutes, that's crazy to me. I don't know. We'll we'll talk about I guess the plan as well. Like I I'm intrigued by the choice of Sun in particular. Maybe it's because they felt like the garden was unlike Charlie's tent, so away from camp that they could have it be done under the cover of rain without anybody noticing that it was Charlie. Maybe it's because Sun, I don't know, served some sort of fixture in camp that would make people more angry or would piss off Jin in particular. But I you know, with Sawyer, every part of this plan is going to be thought through, even if Charlie did not necessarily think things through when he adopted to his All right, part. so let's go to a flashback. Let's start, the, uh, let's start laying some roots for the idea of the long con by bringing con games back into the mix. And we do so by introducing Sawyer to, to Cassidy and Cassidy to the audience, the great Kim Dickens making her lost debut. Let's listen in sound number one. Money you have right now. Just you. Oh, damn it. What is it? Uh, we'll be late for that meeting I told you about. Meeting, huh? You got another date? You can just say so. I can only wrap my mind around one woman at a time. But I appreciate the permission. <laughs> Back in a flash, gorgeous. You weren't exactly supposed to see that. Are you serious? What? You're not serious. You just happen to have a suitcase full of cash? If you go to pick it up and then the, the lock just happens to break. 
mean that? It's not even real. Newspaper? Are you trying to con me? What I ask you what all the money's for and you, you do some song and dance about an investment or something and then and then I say, hey, yo, I've got some money. Look, you got me. Good for you. No harm, no foul. You should have done your homework. I didn't take anything from him in the divorce. I'm not even worth your trouble. Shame on me. I want you to show me what you do. Show me what you do. What you really do. And what do I do? Show me how to con people, Sawyer. Hubba hubba. That's a turn on. <laughs> show mean, me how to I destroy guess... people's lives, baby. It's no eating enchiladas off of somebody, but you oh know what? yeah, I step. forgot about that. Do you think that happened before yeah. we checked in with uh, Cassidy and Sawyer? Is that a deleted scene of them eating enchiladas off of each other's abdomens? Right, because this is the same move they used on <laughs> Damabate's wife, right? Right down right. to the, the flimsy briefcase, and that's and that's why this scene is so what fun, a especially, again, especially comparing it to Confidence Man. Is that like? He does literally the exact yeah, same things. Yeah. He's he's an actor and he's going through the marks. And I just love the reaction between Jessica, I believe her name was. was, and Cassidy, who just looks him in the eye and is like, "You're shitting me, right? Yeah. Do you really think I would fall for that?" And that's how we know. Even if we've only seen Sawyer run this con twice, we know that she's going to be somebody different. And we know there's a reason why we're seeing this particular person. This isn't just some sort of random flashback with some random person this is going to be a very important person in his life for one reason or another and one of the reasons is much like charlie for some reason sawyer has the capacity to have someone just hop on board to his crazy schemes without many questions asked. well it seems like he's catching Cassidy in like a moment of transition in her life she's recently divorced she does have all of this money she's lying about that in this moment um but it seems like she's gone through some stuff she hasn't gone through the fear of the walking dead arc despite spencer wise down the hatch series bible entry that is a completely separate universe uh as is deadwood uh but there are some like Joni stubbs shades here for for cassidy who's uh you know Joni stubbs definitely could uh be a participant in a con like this i think uh and even even better at it than cassidy is uh but cassidy's like a very willing participant right now because like it's like the it's like that moment where like your entire life has been railroaded and you just want to change it up in a very big way. And this is the mm-hmm. way that she wants to change it up. She's not even mad at Sawyer. She's like kind of into it. Um, and it's going to lead the two of them onto a path together for a little while. And unfortunately, Cassie doesn't realize that the con is still going on. Uh, so this speaks to to her her state in life that she'd be open to this, but speaks really highly of Sawyer's read that she would be somebody who would be really open to the long con too. Not to mention that she is conning him a bit here, though, when she says, I didn't take anything from him in the divorce. And it does seem like Sawyer takes that at face value initially. But he's going to tell Gordy later on, right? Like him and Gordy are going to talk. The great Kevin Dunn showing up here. uh, And he's, he's known about the 600K the whole way through, right? Well, I think it, I guess so. But I wonder, like, do you think he's going to go back to Gordon? He's like, hey, can we fact check here? Like, she said she didn't have the money, but just to confirm. Yeah, maybe. Sure. Right. (laughs) Sure. That could work. 
Like, uh, bruh, I, I don't know who to trust more, Gords. You or Gordy, can we get point. our interns on this and just, like, really, really vet this all the way through? Or can we actually hire a consulting firm because our interns botched this one? Yeah, I can imagine for some reason. I don't know why the first thing I thought of when I thought of interns was, like, Varys's little birds. Like, these little street urchins are the interns for Gordy mm. and Sawyer because, like, who interns for con men? Yeah, they, they're the ones that run around. Uh, all over town, making sure that they've uh, properly scouted all of the places with just white meat, chicken salad. Hold the celery for the love of God. You want to go to this diner, yeah. sir? They got steak sandwich and two beers. Good deal. Steak sandwich and two beers sounds like an awesome lunch. It, it really At the really time is. that I was still drinking, like, that would be bomb. <laughs> that would be, like, everything. Uh, so good good, good job, Sawyer. Good taste there. Two beers and a steak sand. Wow, that's the, that's the right stuff. All right, let's go back to the island. Uh, Sawyer is there. He's cleaning his place. Uh, Kate says, I love what you've done with this. With this. this is great. And he's like, yeah, it's the maid's day off. Um, it's clearly spreading that Sawyer and Jack had a fight. Uh, one less Christmas card for the year, Sawyer says. Uh, and then Kate says she came here to give uh, Sawyer a magazine, something to read. He's like, ah, uh, how to feather my hair. This is useful. I mean, considering where he's going to be going in a couple seasons, it's going to be more useful than he thinks. Uh, I, I wish that they didn't spend as much time on the adaptation of Bad Twin, which we'll get into this episode. I would have much rather seen a full write-out of this issue of Elegant Magazine. Uh-huh. <laughs> That'd be fun. Like, what are 10 ways to tell he's a sensitive man? I don't man? know. Uh, someone write in for next week. If you've got 10 ways to tell if someone's a sensitive man, we will not read them all on the air. But if you got some good ones, maybe we'll read a few of those. Um, then Locke walks by, and Sawyer says, Oh, well, that guy there, now that's a sensitive man. Ah, oh, now that's <laughs> that there's a sensitive paper towel. Uh, <laughs> Cleans things up and cries afterwards. Yeah. Uh, Sawyer says that he brought his glasses with him on the raft, which we saw, right? Because he was reading the letters. Do we think that he, uh, if he wasn't doing that, he would have used them for seeing? Or was it just because he had the intention of reading things, which is why he lost his glasses? Uh, I think at that point, like, he's already accepted that he's got bad vision. And he may, like, people have seen him like this now. So why not keep wearing the glasses? But I also think, like, when he gets shot in the shoulder and he's having to, like, fight for survival and, like, scrap around in the scraps of the raft... I don't think that the the steamrolled Harry Potter look is top of mind. Like he's not going to like go screaming for Wilson uh, about his about his missing glasses. I think it's you know no big deal at that point. Yeah, I'm surprised there wasn't like a cut version of a drift where Michael yells at Sawyer for two pages about the fact that he didn't have his glasses on when he tried to shoot the yeah. others, and that's why it's his. That's fault. right. That's right. It's probably on the cutting room floor. Uh, Sawyer's going to talk about how uh, how Jack and Anna Lucia are queerly... Uh, ah, El Jacko and Anna Lou. That's right. Thank you very yeah, much. That they're, that they're banging it out is what, he's, uh, is what he's indicating. And at the very least, they're, they're working on their little revolution. And this is news to Kate. He says, well, you didn't hear about their little army. Guess I'm not the only one on the outs with the doc. Anna Lulu might honestly be my, one of my favorite Sawyer nicknames. I, I just love the uh, the... The homophonic nature mm-hmm. of it all. And it's also probably the, uh, I would say, like, the not necessarily the most sensitive, but, like, the least least sensitive. Yeah. You know, and that's not directly making fun of someone's weight or ethnicity or gender. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's fun. It's fun. Anna Lulu is good. Uh, we're going to cut to Jack, uh, El Jacko and Anna Lulu fairly soon. But first, we're going to get a little bit of a Saeed and Hurley scene, uh, which is just going to bookend the episode as well, uh, where Saeed, who is, you know, 
obviously living in a bit of isolation right now, given everything that's happened to him. He's not ready to, to move on from that quite yet. He's smashing some coconuts. Uh, Hurley comes along. He's like, oh, you got to put the lime and the coconut? Drink them both up. Anyone? Yeah. Bueller? <laughs> lime and the coconut? The song? And, he, and he'll probably respond with, that song depresses yeah. me. Uh, this wasn't it when he like he made like the say anything reference to it. I I really like this recurring thing of like Hurley like presenting Saeed with some light pop culture and Saeed being like I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Do you not remember where I'm from? I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, and so so Hurley has uh Bernard's radio, uh the one that he picked up the plane signal with. Um, and he wants to see if Saeed's going to be able to do anything with it. Can you, you know, can you do your, like, your Saeed type of deal? Can you do your MacGyver thing? And just another way in which this episode is very reminiscent of season one, um, mm-hmm. is, like, mm-hmm. this is... Yeah, to, to, call it, to call back to Team Transceiver of it You know, all. it's a classic Saeed move to, like, tinker with some technology and see what we could do with it. Um, we just haven't had a big moment like that in a while. And even Saeed's like, this is a shortwave radio. It's a walkie-talkie. Nothing's going to happen. It's a waste of time. Uh, and Hurley's like, can't you just switch the blue wire, the red wire? Like, that's what you do, right? Sight's <laughs> so so just not really feeling it. Uh, and Hurley says, I'm sorry, just trying to cheer you up. Sight so says, I don't need cheering up. And I think he kind of yeah, does. I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, because, again, I haven't, you know, watched one of them ahead of time, if, like, this is a step into that episode. Because I feel like this is the part of the episode I could probably take or leave the most. It's not bad, it's just sort of fine amidst all the really, really important and juicy stuff going on around it. Luckily, it's only relegated to two scenes, this one and the one at the end. But I'm not sure how much this particularly sets up the Saeed we're going to see much more prominently next episode. Yeah, I think, though, that this is another way in which this greatly reminds me of the first season. Because it's doing that thing where it shows you um, a small story of the character that they're going to focus on in a bigger way next. Uh, and mm. so, like, this is, like, lightly getting Saeed primed and in a position to have a deeper story after, like, the severe stress of what's happened to him recently with losing Shannon. Um, that, like, no, this isn't going to turn him into, like, sunshine and rainbows Saeed Jarrah, but it is going to move him closer to being somebody that can have, like, a story again and be drawn into the main action in a deeper way. Uh, so I, I like resetting where Saeed's head is at here, and I like doing it through Hurley, because if you're going to have Saeed kind of get back into the main action, I think it's helpful to to have him do that in a way that is, like, human, and I think that, like, it could be human with a bunch of other characters, but, like, human in a way that's, like, pleasant to watch. You know, basically the anti-fire plus water, which we, you know, talked about as, like... Which would be, what, water plus fire? You know, very, very human. I think water minus fire. Uh, Very human, but still, like, unpleasant. Like, deeply unpleasant to watch. So unpleasant that it's, like, not worth watching uh, to to many people's standards. Uh, And I think here, like, it's a very tough tonal line that they gotta walk with Saeed, and I think that they earn it pretty well here with just, like, two very good scenes uh, with, with Hurley and Saeed. So I actually really like this quite a bit. All right. Well, uh, I mean, we just move on right from that. And we address something that will be, you know, some we're moving on from something that's going to be addressed next episode to something that will never be addressed after this episode again. The army is uh, being gathered here. And Anna Lulu, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how to read her in this scene, Josh. This whole thing about, like, you know... Uh, hey, Jack told her about the plan to get the combo. She like jokingly asked him for the combo, but 
I don't know, maybe she's still a new character, so she's difficult to read. And maybe because we don't know too much about her relationship with Jack, but I still find this scene fascinating. Yeah, it is. I think, you know, she says something that really... Uh, I, I love the line, and obviously the, the tailies don't end up being huge factors in the Lost End game, um, but there is this wisdom that she brings to it of, this is the nice thing about you people, you're not scared enough, uh, given like what she and her people went through, and Jack's like, we're scared, you know, we're plenty scared, don't worry about that. Yeah, we just have Charlie to kill all the others for us, so we feel relatively safe. Yeah, but it's a, it's a good setup for the rest of the episode, but I also just really like that in terms of like, the danger that will escalate for these people. You guys aren't scared enough. Like, yeah, you think you're, you know, you're in a dangerous situation, but you've got it handled right now. But like, this is a lot worse than you know. Uh, it's like, oh, that feels like disturbingly resonant. <laughs> like, well, that, and it feels like, oh, oh, that that like <laughs> hangs in my jaw in a way that it didn't before. <laughs> well, and also it sets up really nicely what's going to happen next episode. When it's like, we're fine. Our other problems aren't are fine. Oh, wait, here's a guy who literally dropped into our laps who may or may not be an other and may or may not be like reporting stuff back to the others about us. Right. Yeah. So she wants the combo, uh, but not really. She's just kidding. It's a joke. Uh, maybe she wanted uh, like combos. Like I hear you guys have combos in the pantry. I want them. Yeah, exactly. That's I want Dharma brand uh, combos. I'm assuming Glock hasn't chopped them up yeah, yet. Yeah, what would a Dharma brand generic combo uh be described as? Like uh pizza flavored stuffed pretzel snack. Yeah, exactly. Like uh I don't know, grain based <laughs> uh <laughs> or they're just called combinations. combinations. Uh meanwhile, uh uh Sun is in her garden. There's some like ominous, scary music as like she's like looking around, hearing noises. But as usual, it's just Vincent. Come on, no need to be so scared. And then it starts, raining. and then he just runs away uh, back to wherever he's yeah, going. Maybe she's trying to warn her. her like uh, maybe Vincent's like, "Hey, bad shit's coming. Get out of here." And she's like, "Oh, Vincent, you silly dog." Yeah, like he ran into Charlie on the way here. He's like, "No, you gotta listen." And he's like. No, like, you're not Lassie, Vincent. I'm sorry. Yeah. Good good effort, but, like, nobody's listening to you here. When they probably should but be. But it starts pouring rain. It's it's raining down really hard. Uh, and Sun is enjoying the moment. She's, like, lock with Boone. Uh, they teach you how to predict weather at a box company. Uh, and Sun's getting rained on. And then comes the bag. And somebody with their hands puts a bag on Sun's head and starts dragging her off. It's very scary. It's edited together very jarringly. Um, Luckily, Charlie did her the courtesy of not knocking her on the head with a rock so she doesn't forget English. At least not for a few seasons. It's going to be a while. Uh, Sawyer and Kate, meanwhile, they're back at the tent where they're reading Elegant Magazine, and Sawyer scoops Kate up like, I love the rain, too, from under my shelter. Um, Then they hear Sun screaming uh off in the jungle kate recognizes those screams anywhere i was like i know that son she's the best scream actor on the show uh and so they (laughs) and then shannon's ghost starts like floating away and crying when she hears that Uh, well now she's the best ghost uh crying actress uh is shannon uh so they go off and they see that son is there they bring her back to the beach uh and everybody's like oh shit what happened uh, I think that that's a quote. Uh, and, and, and <laughs> yeah, well, they really listen. They slipped by load last yeah, week. They can probably yeah. slip by a lot more. Who stuff knows now. what they're getting away with here? That's going to be one of the great things of down the hatch to track now. It's like if you got load in, who knows? Uh, so Anna's going to be like, they're back. 
uh, <laughs> which I believe is also an exact uh, replication of the line read. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, Michelle Rodriguez was in talks to play the young child in Poltergeist at this moment. <laughs> Carol Ann, Carol Ann Lucia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that thing's coming out uh, to the TV. <laughs> Yeah, she watches Craig T. Nelson battling the ghost. You hitting that? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Something, something, Mr. Kane. Uh, All right, so there's a group meeting, and Anna's like, all right, time to break out the guns. We got to go on a surveillance. We got to, like, walk around. And Locke's like, yo, yo, no, 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 no. No guns. We're just going to shoot each other. It's a very pointed dig at Anna. Anna doesn't really see it. Anna doesn't get it right away. (laughs) I also like Anna's... Not too subtle suggestion. We should take a look around with guns. With guns, yeah. Uh, guns help us look better. Guns are very good for seeing. Uh, here, uh, Sawyer lost his glasses. Good news. <laughs> what they got a gun <laughs> for just, him. It'll fix his problems. Yeah, we, just, <laughs> we just strap two guns to each other. Here's your new Just glasses, look through them. Look through them. He's like, oh, these are pretty cool. Uh, but yes. Maybe maybe that's how he should have gotten his hands on the guns, by being like, oh, I need two uh-huh. guns locked to see. Yeah, it's, a, it's a medical issue. Uh, so everyone's like, all right, well, let's just put a pin in this. Let's wait for Sun to wake up. Let's find out more about what's going on, and then we'll make a decision from there. And obviously Sawyer and Kate, who are a little bit on the outs right now, they're not just going to take those marching orders. And, of course, this is all part of Sawyer's plan. It's like, get Kate really invested. Get her hooked in because she's going to be a voice of reason uh, to get all of this stuff in motion. Uh, so they're going to go back to the site where Sun was kidnapped. And, uh, this veritable Sherlock and Watson are going to make a discovery. Let's listen in sound number two. They usually don't leave any trail. It's worth a look. Let me ask you something. This whole scenario makes sense to you. What do you mean? Think about it. First off, how'd she get away? A woman doesn't weigh 100 pounds soaking wet. She's fighting for her life. People are capable of almost You can get away? You versus son, auto all death match? My money's on you, Sheena. Thanks for your vote of confidence. Hood. Just like the one they put over my head. No, it's not. This one's black, different weave. It's all in the details. And they're wrong. Well, if it wasn't them, then who? Were you saying one of us did it? Who the hell would want to go after some? Not much upside in scaring the crap out of 46 people. Trying to con him into joining an army. I, I guess you know Charlie got busted for making counterfeit hoods. Uh-huh. That he's, he's trying to like undersell them. Like, oh, you don't want those other hoods? They overcharge you. I've got something just as good. Yeah, I also like how it's like. There's no way the others have multiple bags. <laughs> yeah. No, they only invest they in one They got that style one of kind bag. of bag, and that's it. So <laughs> you can tell this is an axe for the others because the bag's different. Kid, well, it's, it's like, oh, that makes you. It's a good point. Well, you say, you know, this is the, the Watson and, uh, and Holmes. It really is like that if Holmes was wanting to purposely deceive Watson while also doing an investigation. You know, like you really get to see, especially in retrospect, Sawyer really asking some leading questions and re- really leading Kate down this path of 
not trusting Anna Lucia and Jack, but specifically Anna Lucia. And that final line, not so much upside to scaring the crap out of 46 people unless you're conning them into joining an army. Like, he's really laying it in thick with her of like, not only are you left out of this plan, but they are going to such extreme measures. Wouldn't it, it would make sense for them to do it because you can't speak up against it because you had no idea it was happening. For all you know, they could be kidnapping people all over the place to try to perpetuate this army. Right, yeah. So, I mean, look, it, it works, right? I mean, the plan, it's, it's, all go, it's all coming together so far and Kate's buying it. And I think, is that, is that a knock against Kate or more of like a, a notch in, in Sawyer's column because he is, he is just like so convincing in this moment? Uh, I'm inclined to think it's the latter. I agree. Yeah, I think that because I think that it's it's not necessarily Kate being like, I can't trust Sawyer. I think at this point with her relationship with Sawyer, you know, especially after the horse of it all, I think that she has no reason not to trust him in this moment. Because also remember, he was with her when uh, when son was kidnapped. And that's the one thing that I will agree with what you said before. When I watched this the first time, had no idea this was Sawyer. And the thing that really stuck with me was what he'll mention later on, which is like, I was far away from Sun at the time that was happening. How the hell could I have done it? And I didn't even think about the fact that he was cooperating with somebody right. else. And, and I could imagine that Kate had the same place of logic as well. She is not, well, she is a criminal. She does not necessarily come from the world of setting people up in a way that she would feel so, she'd have the, the thought that she might be so actively deceived that she would think through all scenarios. So I do not discredit her at all this episode for what's happening, considering that this is not really staring her in the face, even though it literally is. Right. Um, all right, flashback time, and Sawyer and it, Sawyer's going to show Cassidy how to how to sell uh, how to how to like really like uh, lowball people into paying for or high. Would you high? Are this is this highballing? Either way, he's yeah. going to get these people to pay for junk. And I think. We have finally found... I'm, I'm going to name one of these characters, Josh, one of these gas station douches. I'm going to name him Mr. 2000 <laughs> because he has, like, bleach blonde curly hair, a goatee, and he doesn't take his sunglasses yeah. off. I feel like this is the representation of what the 2000s was in terms of fashion. Yeah, uh, I had named them in my mind uh, guy number one and guy number two, uh, that they're, like, the Lonely Island. Uh, <laughs> we like sports. We don't care. Who knows? Like, it's just, like, they are such marks and their line delivery is just so atrocious Ugh. like oh yeah. look at those necklaces where did you get them oh my gosh i don't know if i want them uh like oh uh, wait Ra- <laughs> oh wait dude rachel's birthday is coming up yeah. you're right yeah. let me take f- four why are you why are you like throwing it so much money down yeah. on these guys wait i'll take two no i'll take three uh like this is guy number one and guy number two. Uh these these are the two people who uh you must be loco to mess with them. Don't you know they're dangerous? They'll kill you. Uh they're terrible. These are two of the worst characters uh in all of Lost, I think. Uh are the two I, people I, that I like so Sawyer's just like they're not even gonna look at the price tag, they're just gonna be looking at the guy who looks like he's in a bar fight as he gently places a band-aid on his yeah. nose. And these idiots are gonna be so hooked in. They're like, wow, you look tough. You must be dangerous. Wow. Oh, man, truly a guy in a bar fight would know, have an eye for jewelry out of anybody in this world. Sure, I'll buy from you, mysterious man who walked up to me in a gas station. I'm inclined to trust you. I would not be surprised, Josh. I don't think this is in the others, but if if a story ever comes out that these two guys were just random members of the production team that they had to bring in at the last minute and gussy up 
in 2000s clothing, I would not be surprised in the yeah. least. Uh, the one guy's eyewear is really just incredible. He looks like Cyclops from the X-Men. <laughs> maybe it was. Maybe it was. It He'd was, be better uh, off maybe... putting, uh, strapping two guns onto his face and seeing through the barrels. Uh, much like could you, could you imagine, though, if he took off the sunglasses and just like blasted <laughs> a ray through uh, Sawyer? Yeah, well, that would, you know, the show would be very different. One of those guys. I mean, that'd be, that'd, be, that'd be a real turn of his like, let me tell you about the time I tried to call him a mutant. Yeah. A lot changes, I think, in that, in that circumstance. Unless he gets taken to Xavier's school and cons the hell out of them. And that's the long con. Hey, I want a necklace. No, I want one, too. Uh, like, guy number one and guy number two are just such easy marks here. And Cassie just rolls around and is like, yeah, I want some of those. And they're like, we do as well. Uh, so it's a, it's a funny little scene. I laughed a lot this morning while I was watching this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's fine. It's, it's, a, it's a good, it's not Sawyer's uh, most complicated ploy but no, he's really the easiest marks on the planet <laughs> right but if, but if this is what he does on the reg like no wonder he seems to be doing pretty okay even though like it seems to be like he's just going from con to con because he owes people money uh back on the island uh jack's gonna be with Jin. he says like son's gonna be fine her pulse is strong she's gonna be okay just watch her was he um was he using mr pake's watch or was that just his watch? uh i did not notice uh Prob- I guess yeah. I guess Michael still has. Yeah, I think the watch, Michael still maybe? has the watch, so it couldn't be Mr. Pig's watch. No, so he has to reach on the tree and grab the watch. Mm-hmm, then. That's right. That's right. So just go. He, let me just go to the jungle real quick and uh, take this tree off of Michael's. Uh, <laughs> uh, take this watch off of Michael's tree branch. Um, so Jack's going to go and get some water, and Kate's going to come up to Jack, and it's not a nothing thing for Jack and Kate to be talking right now. Things are awkward between these two characters mm-hmm. at the moment, uh, and she's going to insinuate like. Hey, how well do you know Anna Lucia? Because I'm pretty sure she's responsible for all this. This feels like a bit of a callback to Exodus as well, right? I don't have the script in front of me, but I do feel like there was a similar, like, how well do you know? You know, I feel like this is Kate essentially implying, like, we're going to have an Anna Lucia right, very soon, right, you know? Right. So I, I think it's fun to sort of put the shoe on the other foot and then to have Jack sort of, you know, put a further wedge between them because Jack at this point seems to very much trust Anna Lucia. She's his number two in this very short-lived plan to bring an army together. So even though Jack doesn't, you know, respond, I feel like that speaks volumes. that He doesn't even give her the courtesy of an yeah, answer. Yeah, but she's incepted Jack, right? Because Jack and Anna are going to go on a walk. She'll be like, ah, I've recruited a couple more people to our army. There's the big guy who lives behind Saeed, which is impressive. Like, she went to, to the guy who lives behind Saeed. Uh, she went to that guy, and she went to, to Scott. He's like, no, Steve. Steve's a leave. Scott's dead. This is how you remember. Steve's a leave. So do you think that she, like, obviously he told her his name was Scott. Do you think she had heard about Steve? Or do you think she just misremembered his name as Steve? That would be amazing. That would be very serendipitous. No, she probably got Steve on board first and then went to the guy who lives behind Saeed, who I believe is named Rodney. uh, And Rodney's like, oh, yeah. uh, So if Scott's on board, then I'm on board, too. Uh, and yeah, so it exactly. probably just like you know messed with her she's like oh scott that's right yeah and he'd be like i hate those freaking others they killed all those people <laughs> yeah. in the jungle that yeah, one I remember time the rash man the others definitely killed him <laughs> yeah and then there was that one time that that boulder rolled into that old lady at the cave yeah. those were definitely the others me and my friend were like riding on the boulder but <laughs> anyway go go listen to the lost rpg episodes that mike and i do if that's not enticing enough a lot of weird things happen in the lost rpg <laughs> Uh, but this is what Jax would be like, uh, where were you during the rainstorm? Where were you? And she's like, 
are you suggesting something? Like, she's not dumb. Yeah. She knows what he's talking are, about. Are you interrogating a cop right now, Jack? Yeah, so uh, things are interrupted because Sun wakes up. Uh, and she's a little dizzy. She like she she like very like uh, in, in granular detail breaks down, recaps exactly what happened. I was simply in the jungle. I was simply tending to my garden. <laughs> I simply saw Vincent. It simply started raining. I simply got a bag placed over my head. I simply got dragged away. I simply kicked and fought. I simply ran as far as I could. I simply fell, and then I simply woke up here. And that's simply it. Simple as simple that. Simple as that. Well, uh- Oh, I mean, speaking of which, uh, Gordy definitely used the extortion advantage in the episode, uh, right at the diner. Yeah. <laughs> what am I going to get $600,000? Yeah. Going to take uh, six fire tokens out of your ear. Uh, so Jin's furious. He wants a gun. Uh, he wants to protect Sun. Uh, and from a distance, Sawyer is watching all of this. And we're alone with Sawyer for a hot second watching it. And so, like, rewatching the episode from the context of Sawyer, knowing what that he's responsible for all of this. Like, you could just imagine the inner monologue of, good, good. <laughs> Let the hate yes. go through you. <laughs> Make it more powerful than you've ever been before. Um, and Kate comes over, and, uh, and Sawyer says, yeah, they're about to form a posse. Wouldn't be surprised if Jack didn't find that horse of yours and start leading the charge in a big white hat. Could you imagine that? Like, all right, everybody, I'm on the horse. Let's go take the others. <laughs> It'd be great. I'd love it. Uh, so that's what that's what uh, Sawyer's thinking. And uh, there's this quick look between Anna and Kate uh, mm. where Kate catches Anna looking out at her very quickly and then looking away. And then Kate's like, it's the guns. This is all her play to get her hands on the guns. A little bit of a jump to conclusions there, Kate, from one, you know, stare down. Maybe Anna Lucy was distracted by a noise or something and, and you know, lost your staring contest. Yeah, uh, but good good for her to figure that out. Or, you know, again, better for Sawyer to, uh, you can't, uh, you can lead a black horse made out of smoke to water, but you can't make them drink. So she's. Unless you're Jack uh-huh. and you make him drink out of your white hat. The interesting thing I find here is not even this assumption, but the fact that Kate is going to say, okay, Locke needs to know that Jack's coming, but she doesn't go herself. She sends Sawyer, which feels like a huge level of trust, right? right? Well, she has, she loves Sawyer, you know? Uh, she's falling for this guy and they've been hanging out a lot recently and she and Jack are not hanging out at all right now. She's with Sawyer all the time at the moment. She trusts him a lot at this point in time. Like they're, they're more honest with each other, at least in her mind. than they've been in a long time, uh, as like, he is clearly like hip to what she's all about. You run icon like they're, they're on the same page, but it's, I, I don't want to spoil another show that we talk about on post-show recaps, but there is a show that Antonio Mazzaro and I uh, podcast about where one character gets very angry at the other character for not being included in a con. Uh, just like, include me in the con! Uh, and I think that it's, it's not a dissimilar energy of what's going on with Kate and Sawyer right now. Or it's like, uh, she trusts him because they come from a similar world, is the way that mm-hmm. she feels. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and... Yeah, and I just find it interesting that, like, she would not be the one to go approach Locke herself. You know, I think she has more of a relationship with him at this point than Sawyer does. Maybe she also wants to build a relationship between them. Like, you guys haven't really hung out a lot. Uh, I heard about that whole James thing. That's a little weird. So maybe you have a time to sort of build a bridge and and go to the hatch and, 
you know, make sure he's not uh, flipping through any books or anything. Yeah, an Owl Creek bridge, in fact, because uh, that's the book that John Locke is looking through. Um, so we'll go to a flashback. We listened to this. This was at the at the top of the podcast, at least a, a bit of it. Uh, the idea of the long con and it's you know Sawyer's uh, brushing his teeth, he's getting ready to shower. Yeah. What what's the? I'm very intrigued by what the order is here. So because Sawyer's hair isn't wet, so he is this after the shower and he didn't wash his hair. Because I don't know about you, Josh. Maybe I'm a weirdo. I usually shower first before I brush the teeth. I'm just curious as to what the order of events here are, considering that they also, he also gets pulled into the shower at the very end of the flashback, even though I think it's maybe for the opposite reason of getting clean. I mean, I guess I didn't think about it. Uh, sometimes I shower before I brush my teeth. Sometimes I brush my teeth before I shower. Sometimes I brush my teeth while I shower. That's happened before. Uh, yeah, I don't know. His hair's not wet, so unless he's putting his head in a bag... And maybe that's why he knows uh, about all these different types of bags, or at least why that's like a very normal thing for him to seize on as a detail. <laughs> he studies bags very closely. I'm a bag He's man. a bag man. Uh, I'm the bag guy. Uh, so he and Cass, you're going to talk, and uh, you need the, the long con. Sure, we could do that, but the one thing you need for it, we don't have. We don't got the money. Uh, she says, well, I actually do. I lied to you about the, the divorce. I actually have 600 grand. Uh, and so I was like, oh, well, shit, let's go find an island somewhere and drink mojitos until we go toes up. Well, good news, Sawyer. I'll get about half of that to come true in a little bit. Yeah, I wonder if him and Juliet in the Dharma days ever, uh, got to enjoy a mojito on the island. I hope so. I don't know if I trust, like, the bartending skills of the Dharma initiative to make good mojitos. Yeah, but he just needs the supplies and he can make them himself. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out, like, who would be the bartender. I We don't really mean... I think we should build out once we get to season five, like, who are the staff of the Dharma Initiative? Like, who's the one running the commissary? Mm-hmm. Like, who's the Chef Jeff, may he rest in peace, of the Dharma Initiative? And is he the one managing the mojitos? And why is he... Uh, why why is he the why is he Gene from Wet Hot American? <laughs> I really feel like yeah. he is. Uh, well, Hurley's going to be a chef, right? He's gonna he's gonna be part of that crew. Oh, that's true. Um, but who is who is it before then? I don't know. I could just imagine uh, James, Gin, Miles, and Juliet hanging out and getting bombed on mojitos and teaching Gin how to speak English, and like that's how Gin learned English. And also, Gin's uh, uh, fluency in English uh, while learning that. Uh, while drunk means that it's a state-dependent thing, so Jin's just drunk all yes, the time. Exactly, it's the fact that Jin like loses his capacity to speak English until he gets bombed yeah. out of his mind, but then he doesn't remember what he said. Yeah. All right, so Cassie's like, "All right, well, I've got the money, and I love doing this con thing with you, man. This is this is what I'm living for right now. Let's go. Let's let's long con someone and then drink those mojitos." Uh, and so I was like, "All right, I'll think about it." She goes, "Why don't you think about it in here?" And then she brings him into the shower, and she like puts him in a chair, and she walks out of the room and says, all right, just think about it for like five minutes, and then come out. <laughs> all right, do you want me to put the bag over your head, Sawyer, yeah. to get your hair <laughs> dry? Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, all right, so back at the hatch, uh, Locke is looking through books. Uh, I'm alphabetizing, he says, but what he's really doing is he's, you know, is there any more Sawyer reels and him. stuff? Yeah, Sora caught him with tur- with a book turned upside down. Saying you're alphabetizing is the s- the worst excuse. It's a joke. It's a joke. Uh, it's a television commercial. Uh, it's he's just. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. To- <laughs> and the wee little kids yeah. try to get the little leprechaun. Yeah, a good time to start the Dewey Decimal System, says Sawyer. Uh, 
Um, and Locke is not really having any of it. We've been pretty light on sounds up to this point, but here we are in the final push of the episode, and we're going to be getting a lot of sounds. So let's listen in to Locke and Sawyer having a conversation here. How can I help you, James? Well, actually, John, I'm here to help you. Give you the heads up. Heads up? Seems Jack's on his way over here to open your little gun closet and take whatever he needs. You should know he's not alone. Whole camp's pretty shook up about what happened to Tokyo Rose. I'm guessing everybody's going to want to play cowboys and Indians. Once those guns are out and about, something tells me they ain't never going back in. Why are you telling me this? Because it'll piss off Jack. If I were you, I'd change that combination pronto. But that won't work. The door will just slow him down. If Jack wants to get in, he'll get in. Will you help me? Help you what? Move the guns. Move them where? Fine. You don't want to trust me? Lots of luck. But I can't leave the hatch unmanned. Sure. You move the guns, and I'll stay here and push your damn button for you. How long till they get here? That ain't my problem, Hoss. It's yours. Not a great episode for John Locke. It's Josh. not a great episode for John Locke. Uh, a couple, a couple of bad ones for John Locke in a row here. Uh, season two, bad season for John Locke, and it's not even the season he dies in. <laughs> yeah, this is more the season that he wished he was dead by the end because yeah. he'll be. He has so much egg on his face mm-hmm. at this point from from the pantry. Because again, like, do you really see in the context of this episode, he is playing Locke for a fiddle. He is playing against the paranoia he feels about Jack. All he needs to do is say, like, Jack's coming for your guns, and Locke goes into panic mode. You even see it after the the clip that we just played. Uh, the scene ends with a close-up on Terry O'Quinn's face, and you can see panic and anxiety in John Locke's eyes of, like, Jack's finally covering for me. He's breaking our deal. I knew this was going to happen. What am I going to do? Which makes him make the pretty illogical decision for him to just go out into the jungle with the entire stash yeah. of guns. But this is why this is such a great Sawyer episode and why I think that this right. is the best Sawyer episode. Uh, certainly that we've encountered so far. I'm open to LaFleur being a better episode than this. Uh, I know people love LaFleur. And I, it, not that I don't love LaFleur. I just love this one. Um, but I'm open to being convinced that LaFleur is a better episode than The Long Con. Um, but... What I love about about James here uh, is similar to what we love about James and Lafleur, but maybe it is a little more impressive in Lafleur to a certain extent. Is that he just reads these people like an upside down book? Uh, you know, he knows where the weak points are for Jack and John right now. He studies these people. This is something we talk about a lot with Saeed, where Saeed is like the human lie detector. Um, and Sawyer's not that good necessarily, um, but he just like he gets people and i think a big piece of that is because like 
he's actually secretly a very empathic person. Uh, you know, I, and I think we'll see that the deeper we go into Sawyer, that he's a man who comes from like deep hurt. And so he can recognize when people are hurting and how people are hurting and where they're hurting. Uh, and he sees that here with Locke, that like Jack is going to be a turnkey and his leadership being threatened here by Jack. They just spent, you know, a big jaunt through the jungle together. So like he, mm-hmm. he's had some time to examine that relationship. Uh, so it's just, it's very, very, very good work uh, on Sawyer's part. Yeah, and I, first off, this scene starts off with so much fun. We ended their interaction in the hunting party with John calling him James. He still does it here, and Sawyer responds with, like, well, John. Yeah, that's good. Basically being like, it's it's less effective for you for me to call you by your first name, but look, I'm going to needle you just as you needle me. But, I mean, if you want a microcosm of how good Sawyer's conning skills are, look at this scene, because Sawyer walks in in the very beginning of this scene that says, I'm here to help you. And Locke is very confused and a bit incredulous. By the end of the scene, what is Locke saying to Sawyer? Help me. I need your help. Help me. Yep. Yeah. Which is like, it's he got him right where he wanted him. And again, this is sort of uh, akin to the Kate scene in that Locke trusts Sawyer enough at this point that he's going to say, I'll leave you in charge of the hatch. Like, for all he knew, Locke, uh, Sawyer could have just not pressed the button and the entire thing explodes. You know, he could have just left the hatch be and walked away a pure agent of chaos. But I think at this point, this is sort of like everyone uh, not necessarily loving Sawyer as much as they would love Hugo, for example. But I think looking at season two Sawyer in a bit of a different light, and you see Sawyer really exploit that in this episode. Yeah, well, I mean, he risked his life to to go and save the kid, you know, and he, you know, went on the raft and all of that. So Sawyer seems like a hero. So people are, you know, giving him a little more leeway here it's to their to their own chagrin. Uh we go to the past, and this is where Sawyer is ordering that steak Sammy with two beers, uh, two fisting and a steak sandwich. Uh, and here he comes, Kevin Dunn, uh, who, who is an actor that I've loved for a very long time. I know he, he has a big role on Veep, right? He does. He plays uh, Ben Cafferty, who I think was uh, Selena's uh, chief of staff for at least a little portion of time. That's where I personally saw him, he, though he is sort of one of... Those guys that you sort of see everywhere. What what are some other he's, he's, he's Shia LaBeouf's dad in the Transformers movies? He is. Oh my god! Yes, I believe is is correct. Uh, but even even more than that, for me, uh, what I what I remember Kevin Dunn always the most as is uh, is the guy who's very nervously on Mind of the Psychic, uh, the Peter Venkman talk show in Ghostbusters <laughs> Two. Uh, very nervously saying, the world is going to end on New Year's Eve. Uh, and he's, of course, right that that's what Vigo the Carpathian is coming after. Uh, wow. So he, so it, it wasn't Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. Uh, an alien. He came into my room. Uh, Kevin Dunn was right. Uh, New Year's Eve was what Vigo was targeting. So here he is now as like a con man role, which I would say is a little different than Gordy. what we yeah. Do you think that's a nickname for something? Or do you think, like, I don't know, like, you look like a pumpkin, so we're going to call you Gordy. Uh, it's like, uh, yeah, he killed somebody back in the day with a gourd. Uh, and so they <laughs> called him Gordy ever since. Yeah, it's better than the pumpkin killer. Yeah. Uh, I will also say that personally, I don't know about you, Joss, as a child of the 90s, but Gordy, when I see the name, certainly reminds me of that babe-like movie of the same name, also featuring a talking oh, pig. Oh, right! I'd forgotten about that. 
Yeah, it really unfortunately suffered from sort of like the same thing that happened to Ants with a Z with A Bug's Life, where two movies with nearly the exact same uh, conceit came out around the time of each other, and one had to prevail. And in this case, Babe slaughtered the heck out of Gordy. And so Gordy will sort of be forgotten in the annals of pop culture history, other than the fact that it has a, a pretty fun outro song called Pick Power in the House. Yeah. Underreported fact, sometimes Emily texts me the word Gordy. Um it's really out of context, and I don't know why. I was going to say, I mean, I don't know what the context no. is. So. so Maybe it's just because like, she really likes Babe and Gordy. And so maybe when she's texting me Babe, she wants to watch Babe. <gasps> and when she's texting me Gordy, she wants to watch Gordy. And I just only now am, am putting this together. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's like a signal of like, Babe means something. Like, I'm happy, and Gordy is like, bad. You piss me off. Much like Gordy pissed off the fans in 1996. All right, so Gordy's going to hang out with Sawyer here. And look, there's Kate's mom. Uh, she's here. It's the, it's her restaurant. Uh, she's, she's, it's another connection. Sawyer and Kate star crossed, uh, and Gordy shows up. We've applauded steak, uh, steak sandwich and two beers for Sawyer as like a really powerful, uh, order, lunchtime order. And Gordy here wants a plate of chicken salad, white meat only please god no celery but he wants a beer as well so we can't even praise the guy for being like all right well you're on a diet so you're trying to like get you know the carbs out of the situation you're ordering a beer sir uh you may as well just put that chicken salad on a on a couple pieces of bread uh right i'm i'm so confused by like is there a menu item called like a chicken salad in this diner because usually a chicken salad has multiple components to it. It seems like this guy is custom ordering something, but all he just said is chicken salad, which I'm assuming is just chicken and lettuce, and apparently used to have celery, but does not in this My case. guess would be that it's like it's like the chicken salad that you order at a deli, like the way that you get like tuna salad. Chicken salad is like chopped oh, chicken. Oh, like a chicken salad sandwich. Yeah, it's like chicken salad with the mayo, and typically it is with celery, and typically this is all like pre-assembled, so they're just going to like get like an ice cream scooper scoop out some chicken salad and plop that on a plate. How are they going to do that and pick out all the celery if it's if it's pre-made? He's like asking for something that's impossible, but thank God he's found the one restaurant in town where they don't put celery in their chicken salad, which is a surprise because celery is like a staple in chicken salads. So why is Gordy going around asking for chicken salad as if it's like his favorite thing when it typically has celery in it? Yeah, I'm so like, confused I, on so many levels by all of this. I, I would think that it's like a gluten thing, but he's getting the beer too. I don't know. Like maybe he just seems like a very picky eater, or maybe he's like he feels like he's so haughty that he's like, I order the most meticulous, needlessly complicated things, and I'll see if the restaurants comply, and that's how I know it's a good yeah, restaurant. Maybe he's just an I mean, a hole. Yeah, well, I can imagine that you know if, if they bring out something with celery, in it, he's going to walk over to Diane Jansen. He's like, listen, if you don't bring me. Chicken salad with no celery. I'll put one in your brain. Put one in the chef's head, too. Yeah, what's he talking Like, Is he going to put a, a celery stalk in your ear? Yeah, maybe that's how he's... He only works in vegetable-related Deaths, yeah, homicide. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why he's saying, please, God, no celery. I have so much celery already. Like, I don't need any more. Yeah, like he has a sniper rifle where the scope is made out of yeah, celery. Yeah, I'm loaded with celery. Uh, I just have tons of uh, celery powder in in pill capsule form. Like I'm loaded to the nines with celery. I don't want any more celery. Maybe that's why Sawyer wants to cut ties with the guys. Like the guy's a little weird. He only works in vegetables. Gordy is a it. weird guy. Gordy's a <laughs> Gordy's a weird. Gordy's man. a very weird guy. Let's actually listen into Sawyer and Gordy here. 
so. Tell me you got her. Yeah, I got her. All 600 grand? All six. You fell for her. Oh, come on, you gotta be kidding me. Look, it's got nothing hey, to do. Hey, I found that bitch. Her name is Cassidy. Well, I waited six months while you and Cassidy played house. Now, if you think I that... ain't doing it. You know what's making you stupid right now? It's your damn hormones. You think you're in love, but you're not. You know, a tiger doesn't change his stripes, James. You're a con man, just like me. And it's not what you do, it's what you are. Do I make myself clear? I'm sorry, man. I just can't do it. No, you're gonna do it. Because that girl, she doesn't know you one bit. But when she finds out who you are, who you really are, she's gonna hate your guts. Yeah, well. Enjoy your chicken salad, Gordy. Wait a minute, you don't walk away now. You owe me. You don't want to pay me? I'll put one in your ear, James. You and your little friend Cassidy. Like, like a full sucks. like a full chicken salad in your ear? Is that what I'll you stuff I'm gonna stuff a head of lettuce in your ear. <laughs> Be really hard to get out oh of this. You're gonna have to take multiple showers, so it seems like you're already accustomed to do that. Oh my god. Uh hands off the vegetable. Uh it's Gordy, man. Like this is a crazy yeah. guy. Uh it's a real shame that we don't get uh, a scene in loss between Gordy and Hibbs. Real missed opportunity for sure. <laughs> Uh, the Gordy, I think Gordy was the character that was supposed to show up in the Adrift flashback, right? Is that when, right? Yeah, I believe he was he was supposed to be part of the the botched job that was mentioned in Outlaws uh, when it was a Sawyer flashback in Adrift. So job. I can only imagine, you know, Kevin Dunn behind the scenes just with like I don't know carrots at each side, just like blasting everyone away. But yeah, vegetables aside, uh, Gordy's real hardcore here. He starts off by calling Cassidy that bitch. It's your uh, damn hormones. Exactly, like he does that sort of like boomer type of thing, but he ends up really instilling an idea in Sawyer that's going to follow him to the island. This idea of a tiger can't change his stripes. It's not what you do, it's who you are, which I find so interesting, Josh, and I fundamentally disagree with, especially from a loss perspective, because I do feel like a lot of characterization we derive from these people are from the behaviors that they, you know, that they take part in. And what Gordy's essentially saying here is nature over nurture. Yeah, and Batman would hard disagree. It's not who I am. It's what I do that defines me. Yeah, though maybe Gordy is sort of like, uh, maybe he's one of the big Batman villains. He's part of the rogues gallery, like the Veginator. He's part of Sawyer's rogues gallery for sure. Like Sawyer's amassing quite a rogues gallery. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Got Robert Patrick and Shia LaBeouf's dad. Yeah. So I guess by extension, probably Shia LaBeouf. I could imagine so. And if you don't want that guy in, on your shit. No, it's like, definitely not. <laughs> could you imagine a future episode where, like, Gordy's son comes to find Sawyer and it's just Shia LaBeouf just going aggro at him? Close enough. Uh, if it was, like, uh, the, the Justin Chatwin character who uh, is uh, Eddie, the, the pot farmer secret agent, mm, uh, mm-hmm. who uh, maybe, much like how Locke's dad is actually Sawyer, uh, maybe uh, Eddie, Locke's old friend, 
is Gordy's son, and he comes. Ooh, wait, after maybe that's Sawyer. why Gordy's son goes to a pot farm because his dad always yeah. had the green thumb yeah. that would stain blood red. <laughs> oh man! All right. Anyway, so that's Gordy, and he does get the iconic line, and maybe this is something that's easy to forget: a tiger don't change his stripes. I always loved this character because I love Kevin Dunn, and it always yeah. like it never fails to crack me up. Like this is Kevin Dunn's lost role. Is this yeah. one scene craving like? thirsting hard for a very specific kind of chicken salad <laughs> but also at the same time like threatening sawyer's life while being and also it. being like this mobster badass it's so it's like just so discrepant but it's so interesting because again it's coming out of someone like kevin dunn i love it i love it all right so back at the hatch uh jack and Jin show up and uh the, the Clock is beeping, and uh, Sawyer, is, they're like, hey, Sawyer, come on, we got to talk to you. He's like, ah, just one sec. This close to the high score on Donkey Kong. Uh, and Michael's like, damn it, we could play games on those yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, what the hell? I, just, I was just talking to my damn son. I could have been playing Centipede. Uh, uh, really funny. Uh, really funny line from Sawyer. Again, just great Sawyer stuff all over this episode. Uh, yeah, and, and he's he's now, this is, Sawyer, this is Salesman Sawyer. Yeah. He, like, has his feet up on the table. He's in his comfort zone, basically being like, well, 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 look who comes crawling back. Look who needs information out of somebody. Yeah, yeah. And so Sawyer's going to tell Jack that, oh, yeah, uh, Johnny Locke went to the store for a pack of smokes. Uh, but, of course, we know that Locke has taken all them guns, uh, has, has gone off, armory's empty. Jack is really pissed. He's ready to go tip-top toes with John Locke. Yeah, and... Sawyer also digs in the knife a little bit of uh, saying, oh, yeah, by the way, I believe these are yours. Because it's a great little reversal here where Jack cleans Sawyer out and Sawyer points out that Jack has now been cleaned out. Yes, Jack has now been cleaned out as well. So Jack's going to go to the beach. He's going to throw down with John Locke. Where are the guns? We had an agreement. Locke is just like sitting there very calmly on the beach by the fire. It's like, yeah, you were about to violate the agreement. I moved the guns. What are you about to do? You're going to start handing them out to people? How many? Who gets them? How much time before there's an accident? Another accident. Cut to Anna Lucia. I know. It's like, as if if you didn't get the point earlier, I was talking about you killing Shannon. Yeah, and then Locke has a really interesting moment here where he's basically like, you need to take responsibility for stuff. I take responsibility for Michael. You know, I taught him how to shoot. And that means, ergo, I take responsibility for the guns, which is a weird logical path to follow. But again... I think Locke has sort of been driven up the wall by paranoia at this point, that things might not make the most sense as they usually are. I guess it's time for Locke to take responsibility for something, though. Still not ready to take responsibility for Boone. Um, but he says all of this, and, and him and Jack are like uh, chests puffed up. They're about to, about to really go for it when a couple of shots ring out in the air, and Josh Holloway, as James Sawyer Ford, steps out, blows young Josh Wiggler's mind in this moment. Uh, I will I will point out uh, and gives a great great speech. Let's listen into this iconic scene from the Long Con. You gave him the guns. No, I hid them. That's right, Jack. He's as stupid as you are. You were so busy worrying about each other, you never even saw me coming, did you? But how about you listen up? Because I'm only going to say this once. You took my stuff. Well, I was off trying to get us help. 
get us rescued. You found my stash and you took it. Divvied it up. My shaving cream, my batteries, even my beer. And then something else happened. And you decided these two boys here were going to tell you what to do and when to do it. Well, I'm done taking orders. And I don't want my stuff back. Shaving cream don't matter. Batteries don't matter. Only thing that matters now are guns. And if you want one, you're gonna have to come to me to get it. Oh, you want to torture me, don't you? Show everybody how civilized you are. Go ahead. But I'll die before I give them back. And then you'll really be screwed, won't you? The new sheriff in town, boys. Y'all best get used to it. he wishes he hadn't given the marshal's badge to to kate yeah because like now that he's a sheriff he could really use the star exactly and he it's you know it's too bad he made fun of jack's big white hat <laughs> i feel like a cowboy hat would do <laughs> real it'd be well for great right it'd be great right now especially if he's just uh if he's rocking like the look he had in the community season two finale of him in like the the black bandolier and the black hat it works obviously really well for josh holloway what a scene! Great scene, awesome oh, scene, so much fun. And it was it, it's there's a couple of scenes on on Lost that I can I can remember very vividly having this feeling of like, wait, what? Like my my mind catching up to my eyes, uh, mm-hmm. and and like taking a while uh, for like what's in, on screen in front of me to to like process and make sense for me internally. And this was a big one. Uh, and I remember being so impressed by this scene on the first run through that lost could like still really surprise me with something that is just a very straight in the moment character moment. Um, that this wasn't like, Oh my God, the Dharma initiative. That's the polar bear explanation. Like something like that. This was literally like, Oh Sawyer. Oh, Oh, what? Wait, what? He stole the guns. Like when he walks out and he's got the assault rifle over his shoulder, it took me like a solid, like 10 seconds to figure out that, oh, this was the long con. Oh, that's mm. genius. And like all of the, all of this time later and the many different times that I've gone and rewatched this episode, uh, I have I have just been so in love with that reveal. Uh, and the way that it's cultivated and the way that Sawyer delivers all of this, uh, even if I think like maybe like trade a gun for some shaving cream, like maybe like make a really good deal, but like shaving cream does still have value. Don't go uh, around. Shaving cream don't matter. You know, shaving cream and batteries, those are the two things that don't matter in this new world, No, Josh. No need to besmirch shaving cream. I think that there's still some value. The beer, there's still value in that. I know you can't get a steak yeah. sandwich so exactly. easily. Exactly. I have two demands, two beers and a, a steak, steak sandwich. sandwich. Right now in the hat. Uh, but like, I, I, like, this is like very vivid to me, the sense of memory of watching... James walk out of the jungle with the gun over his shoulder and just like not really understanding what was happening until like 
it like he starts talking about it more and then being like, oh, shit, he took the guns. Oh, wow. Sawyer, you're such a clever, clever guy. Uh, like this, it, it's obviously a much, much lower on the rung type of reveal than um, like objectively speaking than the flash forward at the end of Through the Looking Glass. But it was a similar feeling. Like watching like Kate emerge at that moment in in through the looking glass at the at the airport, and then mm. being like, "Wait, what's going on? Oh God, this is a flash forward!" Like that's how I felt about Sawyer stepping out of the jungle here. And so, for like very very personal sense memory reasons, I think I'm always going to esteem this episode a little bit higher than the average bear. Um, but this is just such a great scene for me on so many different levels. And the like the reactions on everybody. Oh, the body language is like so, so good. So good. I mean, we just saw the similar body language last episode, but it's uh it's it's really interesting to see everybody just so furious. I love the callback. Again, this this episode is a real big callback to confidence man in so many ways, to the point where Sawyer literally turns to Saeed and basically says, like, oh, you want to do the exact same thing to me that you did to me last time? Right. He really digs in the night by saying, show everybody how civilized you are. I mean, Sawyer has now become what Locke wanted to be in the beginning of the episode, which is the one person who has has access to all the guns. And like he says, like, we didn't see him coming. The A-15 didn't see him coming. I, I see your point about the the big reveal as well. And I think it's a little different because... This isn't a plot twist. This is a character twist. Yeah. Uh, which I feel are two inherently different things. The plot twist is something like, you know, uh, oh my God, uh, they traveled back to the 1970s or what the Dharma Initiative is. The character twists are more in lines of like what Locke was in Walkabout, Sawyer running into Christian Shepherd in Outlaws. Uh, and I guess this is more of like an in the present character twist, but I feel like it's very. We rarely see them. And when we do, they sort of vary. I feel like the last big character twist we had. Uh, in Lost was season one during Born to Run, right? Of like Kate and Kate convinced Son to try to poison Jin, and we we certainly gave our feelings about that. But this works because again, it's it's intrinsically tied into the character. It has a great reveal, and it leads to just this fantastic monologue where Sawyer feels like he hasn't had a voice in this community since coming back, and now. He does have a voice, and he doesn't care if that voice pisses everybody else off. I think it's the first example in season two so far that I can think of where there is, like, that kind of, like, new layer shown about a character that, like, maybe you really should have seen coming, and yet you didn't. Right. Um, Scorpion is Scorpion and the Frog. Exactly. Exactly. And the fact that it's all baked into the to the premise of a single episode just makes this, as a single episode of Lost, A, feel very classic, but B, feel very whole. Uh, like a like a like, like a chicken salad with celery in it, as it's supposed to be. You know, it just feels right, uh, and I love that about this episode. And it's so encapsulated by this moment. It's just a, it's just a great side swipe where, like, the whole time you should really know. And maybe I'm just the dummy, uh, and other people can be like, "Yeah, I knew the whole time." Good for you. That's great. I was really sideswiped by this at the time, and I'll never forget that feeling, and it's always just such a delight to watch. Yeah, no, Josh, that's fine. You know what? You and I are the two guys at the gas station. I'm fine being the big dum-dums here because it leads to really fun surprises. All right, you're guy number one. I'm guy number two. Uh, All right, Josh, let's move on with this podcast. Okay, time to keep going. Uh, All right, so there's a flashback, and Sawyer's like, Cassidy, we gotta go. If I don't walk out the door with the briefcase, we're dead. It's Gordy. Don't you know? It's Gordy. She's like, who is do you, Gordy? Do you think they've hunkered down in Iowa at this point? Or do you think, like, I, I wonder, it, like, right? what? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the what the state is of them. Concerned that it's there's they seem to be in a home that they're relatively settled in. I wonder they know the neighbors, right? It's like go go back through Evan's yard is like something he says. Like he's like go go over to Evan's house next door, sneak out that way. So it seems like they've got like photos of themselves on dressers and stuff. Like they seem pretty settled in. It's been six months. So I guess to that point, we don't see this particular part. Maybe just because we're we don't have that much time for flashbacks, given everything that happens, but. I wonder if there was one point when Sawyer's like, I'll, I'm done with this game. You know, like, I'm fine maybe doing the occasional uh, gas station grift with Cassidy, but I don't need to necessarily travel around the world. Hell, maybe I don't need to hunt down who killed my parents anymore, and I can just sort of focus on this one person. Yeah, but that doesn't hold, and whatever, you know, Gordy's threat must have really chilled Sawyer because he basically, like, scares her away, right? And also, like, scares her into leaving the money behind. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Sawyer comes in. He claims that Gordy's outside. Basically says, like, you need to get out of here or he'll put one in your ear. <laughs> and man, if you do not like You do radishes, not want a full salad in your brain, let me tell you. Exactly. It'll spin you like you spin a salad. Uh, and he says, you know, basically, I knew that you uh, had the money. You were the long con. Cassidy, for what it's worth, still seems emotionally invested. She says that everything they went through was real. Uh Oh no, she's she sorry. She starts slapping him actually until he tells her that everything they went through was real. I mean, do you find that sincere here, Josh? Do you think he was as you know emotionally torn up as he was at least perceiving to her? Yeah, I think that, I think that Sawyer fundamentally, uh, you know, it's, it's something I I I don't know how often I talk about it, but certainly something I've talked about before is like one of the magic tricks of Lost is uh, Jack presents as a hero, but he's secretly kind of an asshole and Sawyer presents as an asshole, but he's secretly kind of a hero. And he, Mm. he's, you know, a person who I think like he, he's very, he's very young emotionally because he was like frozen in a very childlike state because his life got destroyed when he was a kid. Uh, and that emotionality followed him through the rest of his life. Even as he was like doing dark things, like he just, he was never like hugged, you know, he was never loved. And so when he does find it, it can be soothing for him, but it won't take long before he feels like I'm not worthy of it. I don't deserve it. Uh, and I think that, you know, Sawyer fell in love with Cassie in the same way that he fell in love with Kate in the same way that he falls in love with Juliet. Uh, like, I think all of that is real. I think that people are capable of loving, you know, multiple people across their lives. And I, and I think that that's very much the case here. Um, but I think like much like how he's going to very like deliberately disappoint everybody on the island, which is a pretty mellow way of putting what he's doing with the <laughs> with the long con, um, he's going to deliberately do that here with Cassidy because he's like, a like I don't want to endanger her in the way that Gordy's talking about. Um, you know, putting you know vegetables in her ear is not something that I want for this woman. Um, but also like maybe I I don't deserve this life, and maybe I do deserve the bad thing. And doing the bad thing makes him feel more like himself, and makes him feel like this is more of what I'm worth. This is more what i deserve yeah it's uh, it could be a thing as well where again gordy's comment really sticks with him not necessarily about the vegetables in the ear comment but more so a quote-unquote reminder of like hey remember you're a bad guy and cassie's gonna hate you because you're a bad guy no matter what you do and so i can imagine it's a little bit of a self-effacing moment for Sawyer as well of like who is I to think I actually deserved a happy ending, considering everything I've done and everything that happens to me? As he tells Charlie here, I'm not a good person. So I could see him also using that sort of emotion to push a lot of people away, including someone like Cassidy, who was so supportive, and he supported her back as well before he sort of realized, 
again, illogically so, but understandably so, oh, that's not who I am. That's not who Sawyer is. Let me, you know, push away Sawyer, or let me let me push away Cassidy. He becomes, as we talked about in Confidence Man, you know, he ended up becoming the man that he was hunting down the entire time, this very cruel, heartless man on the surface, but unlike uh, un- unlike the actual Sawyer, there there is a heart beating under there, and right now that heart is breaking as he not only pushes Cassidy away, but also robs her blind. All right. Uh, there's other people who are going to be disappointed in Sawyer, namely Kate. Uh, once we flash back to the island, Kate's going to read Sawyer for filth to some degree. Like an elegant magazine. Yes, yes. Uh, let's listen in as Kate and Sawyer are going to recap what just happened with the long con. How'd you do it? How'd I do what? Locke said that he left you in the hatch when he went to hide the guns. And we both know you can't track where the dam. So how'd you get them? Magician never tells his secrets. You played us. You played me. All that stuff you said about Anna Lucia, you knew I would go to Jack. And you knew I'd ask you to go to Locke. Now, how in the world would I know all that? Do you have anything to do with son? What kind of person do you think I am? What kind of a person do I think you are? I don't think this has anything to do with guns. Or with getting your stash back. I think you want people to hate you. Good thing you don't hate me, Freckles. Why do you have to do this? You run, I con. Tiger, don't change your stripes. Ugh, such a heartbreaking scene. Even though I'm not the biggest fan of, like, Kate and Sawyer as we start to get down the line, you could just feel Kate's, like, frustration and sadness because like we spoke about before she fundamentally trusted sawyer and this was a huge breach of trust we know how tough it is for kate to trust somebody considering her own mother was the one to turn her in all the way back in the day and so she feels so tricked by the person that you know when jack drove she was driven away by jack or she drove jack away she's away from that guy so she turns to sawyer who then you know takes advantage exploits that to a certain extent and you know, I think when she really lays into Sawyer a bit, I think it's cathartic for us, and it's also extremely accurate. She, as you said, gives a completely accurate diagnosis of, like, guns don't really matter in this case. Shaving cream don't matter, batteries don't matter, guns don't matter either. What matters is the fact that you want people to hate you for whatever reason. Uh, and, and Sawyer, in true Sawyer fashion, just responds with that asshole remark, good thing you don't hate me, Freckles. Yeah. And the silence is just so palpable yeah you run icon uh tiger don't change his stripes uh put it on a shirt i'm sure someone has uh yeah i think all of that's right i think it's also it's easy to forget because it's a pretty forgettable episode born to run um but that was like the last meaningful interaction that kate and sawyer had before sawyer went on the raft uh, and then the next time they saw each other was sawyer was shot and like kate mm-hmm. like had all of these feelings of like stuff we left on the table. 
Uh, and also you may be Wayne. Right, right. So like there's just there's just like a lot that was left unsaid between those characters and they never really like picked up the baggage of what went down when Sawyer outed Kate for who she is in front of everybody and like the way that like she would come after him in that episode too. If I want your spot, I'll get your spot. She was going for his spot, you know, and to some degree, right? Uh, you know, I guess, you know, she was going for Jin's spot ultimately, but she would have taken Sawyer's if that was an opportunity, if that was yeah, on and there. And remember that she, that she takes an opportunity there as well to really dress him down too, of being like, if I want why your are you spot, doing I'll this? take your spot. Exactly. Yeah. Like there's, there's nothing for you out there. Why are you even getting on the Right. And so Kate is the one, and I think this is what makes the Kate Sawyer relationship so complicated. And I think we spoke about this a bit a little while ago in previous episodes is that like these are really the only two characters that can see each other eye to eye in that they, they have rel- not necessarily similar experiences, but similar ways of almost looking at each other through their past experiences. And so there is, again, a, a basic level of trust there that when one fundamentally betrays the other, either by hurting their feelings or or in this case, you know, leading them down the wrong path so that they could get the guns out of, away from under their nose, then it, it really stings. Even though to Sawyer, he's been getting nothing but stings. He's swatted down a wasp's nest at this point, and Charlie style, he's running away from all those wasps. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, neither of them are comfortable with being viewed by other people as good people, and neither of them are used yep. to like having good things. And they you know, that's what kind of, like, makes them feel like they're in love with each other. Maybe, you know, actually actively has them fall in love with each other for a time. Um, And I think that 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 all makes sense. But I think, like, for Kate, she never got, like, the real chance to, like, really have this kind of a conversation with Sawyer because when he came back, he was injured, and now they've been close, and now Sawyer does a very Sawyer-y thing for the first time in a very long time. And Kate kind of, like, reads him a bit of the riot act of, like, why? Why are you doing this again? Um, I I love that in Kate in this episode. Uh, to mm-hmm. spoil the MVP LVPs, like I'm going to give Kate a point this week specifically because of like her reaction to all of this and the way that she dresses him down in this scene is just really really great. After he has like used her, and her reaction to being used is less about like how dare you use me and more about like why why are you doing this? I thought we were past this. You know, you might have said while I was cutting your hair about how weird you felt about people uh, treating you differently, but I thought you were a a different person. I thought we were on a different wavelength. Right. I also like, I mean, you talked about the you run icon thing. Sawyer getting that final word again in this episode by bringing things back to her of like, listen, you can chastise me all you want, but you have also done some stuff. And you also default to stuff. We've all watched whatever the case may be, sugar. We all know that can happen. And so it's it's Sawyer, again, I want to say bringing people down to his level, but reminding people of how much they may criticize him. They sometimes have their own moments where maybe they don't sink so down as to kidnapping son, you know, even uh, even though Sawyer comes clean a bit in uh, the speech that we talked about, when Kate asked, did you have anything to do with son? He still does lie. He says, what kind of person do you think I am? Which I guess is not really a rhetorical question because the answer is a bad person, according to Sawyer. But he is somebody to essentially remind people like Kate or Jack or Locke when they accuse him of doing some pretty despicable things like, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. 
all depends on the way you look at things. Yeah. All right, next scene. Uh, we'll listen into this one as well because this is a very audio-driven scene. Is we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get closure on the Hurley and Said stuff. Hurley's gonna be sitting by a campfire. He's gonna be reading a book. We'll talk about that book in a little while. We can put a pin on that. Uh, and then Said's gonna show up. Uh, he has taken Hurley up on the radio offer, and this is uh, these are the results. Hey, check this out. I found a manuscript in one of the suitcases. It's like a mystery book. I want to show you something. Cool, you fixed it. We'll see. Hold on to this. Don't expect anything. The chances of getting a signal are slim at best. Static's good, right? No. Reception is good. Wait, what's that? It's Russo's signal. Oh, crap. But this radio has a wider bandwidth. Hold it! Stop! Do you hear that? How clear that is? It's gotta be close, right? Radio waves at this frequency bounce off the ionosphere. They can travel thousands of miles. It could be coming from anywhere. There any time. Just kidding, dude. I just wanted to give a shout out there to Hurley Reyes and Saeed Jarrah. We know you're listening all the way back in 2004 to Down the Hatch, and we appreciate your patronage. And here's a nice little conversation to fill in that sound clip. It's a shame that the ghost of Casey Kasem isn't here with us to uh, to, to get into some long-distance dedications. Uh, some, some stuff to unpack from that scene. Number one, just a great scene. Great moment with Saeed and Hurley. Uh, the music is wonderful, obviously. Um, but there's there's some like mythology stuff that's happening here that uh, we have that we'll pull in from the other section a little early right now. Of course, mm-hmm. the book that Hurley is reading is Bad Twin. Bad Twin, written by Gary Troop, a survivor. AKA the, well, survivor for all Temp- of, what, for, 10 minutes? You know, he survives the crash of Oceanic 815 and then gets sucked into the turbine uh, in the in the opening of the pilot. That's Gary Troop. A lot of people, if you're listening to a Lost podcast, uh, that's a Lost Rewatch podcast and you're a big Lost nerd, very likely that you know that already. I know we've referenced it before. Um, the book, uh, which was actually published under the name Gary Troop, but it was ghostwritten by an author named Lawrence Shames. Um, ben, ben, the Ben behind the curtain, Ben Bar- Martell, um, writes a lot of info about this in our, in our feedback uh, document that Mike and I have, uh, and says that by all accounts, and I have not read Batswin, so I can't say that Batswin sucks, that it's not good, uh, that uh, this, is the, this is the plot summary of, of Batswin. 
Uh, so spoiler alert for people who are uh, interested in reading Batwin. We're just going to spoil the whole thing for you. Um, Paul Artisan P.I. is one day visited by a well-dressed man named Clifford Widmore, who's the CEO of the Widmore Corp. His identical twin brother, Xander, the bad twin, <laughs> has gone missing. Uh, Xander was known for getting into shady dealings, and this is the reason Clifford assumes he's disappeared. Chasing leads on Xander all around the world, Paul meets a woman named Prue, uh, no uh, connection to the Great British Bake Off, uh, and has a fling with her before discovering she is also a PI hired to make sure that Paul would never find Xander. Paul realizes he's hired because Clifford did not believe he'd succeed. Paul and Prue then agree to discover the truth together. They find Xander at the Great Barrier Reef, where the three barely escape being killed by assassins. They convince Xander to return to New York City, but when they arrive, they discover that Clifford has been killed and the rest of the Widmore family are attacked by gunfire at Clifford's funeral. Paul and Prue kill the shooter, and it's Vivian, the young wife of Clifford and Xander's father, Arthur Widmore. Vivian was planning to kill the Widmores one by one to be left with their fortune. Turns out that Xander wasn't a bad twin at all. Instead, he just wanted to invest the family money into a pearl farm and give the profits to indigenous Australians and Cuban medical relief aid. Xander was ready to sell his share of the company, and Clifford was worried that this would leave the Widmores with a minority share and that he would lose his position as CEO. Uh, Gary Troop's quote-unquote fiance, Cindy, also makes an appearance as an oceanic flight attendant in the book. So that's what Bad Twin is all about. Uh, And perhaps it comes comes as no surprise that uh, Damon and Carlton, not big fans of Bad Twin. Uh, In in, uh, some of their podcasts and other appearances, they've talked about Bad Twin. Carlton Q said the novel didn't meet the bar for quality. Uh, not not a huge fan uh, of of the work provided by Lawrence Shames, who wrote this book. He says that Shames was provided with a list of elements that he could incorporate into the novel, but also ended up including only just a few of the elements. Uh, and Damon said on the official Lost podcast that considering that I have now read Bad Twin, Gary Troop got exactly what he deserved. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> so. what a shame! <laughs> what a shame! Uh, so that's pretty pretty good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, I'm. I'm surprised, but not surprised that they actually released a book. Maybe it's, it was less so about like the mystery time. It's clear that's that's what Darlton were going for, right? Just like with the ARG game, and this is the so time like, of that stuff. Like Lost is big now, and they're really trying to seize on this moment, right? That's the thing. I think it was more so. It ended up being, at least from the Shames' perspective, it was more so about the marketability of the Lost brand. Whereas I can imagine that Darlton were more about like. Okay, let's make it less of like an actual mystery novel, and then let's let's bring in some more stuff that people can tie back into the show, so that it's almost like a fun little Easter egg hunt. Instead, they just got a relatively straightforward, albeit a little soapy, mystery novel that happens to have a bit more win more than maybe we need. Um, and so then there's also the song that Hurley and Saeed are listening to in that scene, and Hurley is the guy who supposes Saeed says like it's bouncing off the ionosphere, it could be coming from anywhere, and then Hurley says or any time. Ah! just kidding dude but it turns out of course time travel is very real in the world of lost uh and retroactively damon and carlton have confirmed 
that what they're listening to here is a tease of time travel. Uh, the song that Hurley and Said are listening to, it's called Moonlight Serenade by Glenn Miller, uh, who died in a plane crash in 1944. Uh, and the song was confirmed to come from the 1940s, and it's hearable by Hurley and Said because of time travel. Uh, this is what the Ben behind the curtain writes. The origin can be narrowed down to a U.S. Army base in Kodiak, Alaska in 1985, as the call sign of W. XR was reserved for the U.S. Army, and this is the only known historical use in the 1940s. Mm, so maybe back in the 1940s, ancestors of two men in puffy coats were talking to an ancestor of Penny Whitmore mm. to say that they had they were going to broadcast to the island this particular song. I also believe uh, we're going to actually hear Moonlight Serenade not too far from now, uh, a few months from now, because I believe when we go into the Jack flashbacks in A Tale of Two Cities, he's going to be listening to it there as well, though it's TBD as to what time period he's listening to it from. All right, so just some background details on all that, and beyond that, just a great scene with, with Hurley and Sight. It's a really it's it's a if you're talking about season one callbacks, I feel like season one had a lot of those like these types of moments, yeah, yeah, B B storyline character building around the fire moments, uh, and it was cool to get some you know uh, diegetic music. We haven't really experienced that since Hurley's Walkman died, so to get a nice little taste of that, like you said, very season one esque. Uh, it's just again, this is probably one of the big reasons why this episode is so interesting in retrospect because they had the freaking time travel right in front of our noses and we were sniffing other things at the time. All right, let's get to the end of the episode and we'll listen into this as well. And this is going to be the rendezvous in the jungle between Charlie and Sawyer where we are going to realize that Charlie was a piece of this the whole time. Let's listen in. You never saw you, huh? It's more worried about your sodding guns than being followed. Because you want your friends back. If I wanted them, I would have taken them before I told you where they were. It's not why I did it. It's not, huh? I wanted him to look like a fool. To feel like a fool. Well, well. It's like Johnny Locke's got himself a nemesis. The son. Can never find out what I did to her. Never. I'll sweat it. They got bigger things to worry about now. Sawyer. This idea, all of this, what we did, what made you have someone think of something like that? person charlie never did a good thing in my life one of my favorite line reads in lost i'm not a good person charlie never did a good thing in my life like it's a very quiet way to end the episode obviously we we cut the flashback stuff out of that and (laughs) and frank invited that a bit right Uh, we're doing it we were doing it in real time with the episode yes uh but you know, is it is it like one of the top endings in Lost history? No. Is it one of the most memorable endings in Lost history? No. I think you remember the climax of the long con and Sawyer's revelation as the con man, uh, certainly much more powerfully than this. And t- a tiger don't change his stripes is the more iconic line. Um, but this is like the very, 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 very deeply honest belief that Sawyer has about himself that he feels mm-hmm. like, I don't know if it's that he's comfortable enough to share it to Charlie or if he feels like, 
the way that Charlie is reacting, like Charlie was fully game. He did absolutely everything. But at the end of it, he's like, how does someone think about something like this? How do how does anyone even conceive of what you and I just pulled off? That Sawyer in that moment like doesn't whiz back with a nickname. He doesn't whiz back with the dig. He just says, "I'm I'm a bad dude. I do bad yeah. things. This is what I do." Well, well, I again for tracking this in real time, I could also imagine this is not too uh, far after you know Kate laid into him. He's probably still licking his wounds, and that's probably still reverberating on his mind and only driving his own attitude further and so yeah this really is probably like the most bared we've seen sawyer this entire time which makes it even more sad because this is again something he fundamentally feels about himself at this point he feels like he should be perceived as it and he feels like he deserves to be treated like this and it's so depressing but i love it because you know, like you said, the probably the more memorable lost endings are like the big WTF reveals or big moments happening. But these are these small understated moments can be some of my favorites as well. Because again, if you're looking at it through the lens, if you're putting the two scopes of guns to your eyes and looking at <laughs> right. the show as a story about characters, these are just as powerful, if sometimes not more powerful endings, where it's less about the WTF of it all. And more like the characters giving their own thesis statements. And this is a hell of a thesis statement for Sawyer. Uh, and, you know, to see Charlie react as well is super interesting, given all the stuff we saw from him last time of how he got so desperate to, you know, uh, steal a baby. But even he's like, dude, this is low. Uh, but he still did it because it also shows Charlie's own desperation in feeling like Locke embarrassed him. Yeah. And Locke humiliated him. And Locke to him is the reason why he's been driven away. Not his own actions, not Claire, but John Locke. And so he's willing to do anything, including kidnapping Son, to make John Locke get egg on his face momentarily. Uh, and, you know, Sawyer sort of sets up Charlie as his nemesis. I think he really is trying to set up Charlie as not necessarily like a, a comrade in arms. Like, he's not his Gordy anytime soon. But, uh, you know, Charlie was able to get his revenge here, much like Sawyer has been able to get his revenge time and time again. I will also say pretty bad look on Locke. Uh, Mr. Tracker Extraordinaire for being able to follow Charlie so many times for him to not detect that Charlie was following him is not a great look. Not a great look on Locke. Uh, I think more an impressive look on Sawyer uh, that he was able to rattle Locke so thoroughly. But you think better of Locke than this, maybe than than allowing Charlie, who's like the worst at following people, to. Oh yeah, he's probably like tripping over his own shoelaces, uh-huh. rustling <laughs> branches. <laughs> Uh, but I just I just love this line so much. And I mean, uh, to take like minor issue with a couple of the things that you said is like, this is not the most bared we've seen Sawyer. We saw him naked uh, in, <laughs> in season one. So there's that. And he, and he did shoot a bear. And he in the did pilot. shoot a bear in the pilot. Uh, and also there's the infamous scene. Uh, infamous has a negative connotation. So there's the famous scene of him with Jack at the uh, at the midpoint of, of Exodus part one, where he, you know, we, we've even talked about it in this episode. Uh, where he's he's you know giving him like like a kindness, and that's like a very bare moment for Sawyer as well. But I think what this is is like this just shows like he's come pretty far, but he still has many miles to go. And it would be like less realistic for Sawyer to have come back from the raft mission 
He's being celebrated as a hero. He's being celebrated as the guy who took a bullet. He took one in the shoulder. Uh, he took a, a full carrot to the shoulder uh, for 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 the boy, for Walt. Uh, and everyone loves him now. He's not going to be comfortable with that yet. Like, not yep. enough has happened to him yet to make him anywhere even remotely near that level of comfort uh, that he'll be able to get to a place where that works. It takes literal years for that to be Sawyer. Like, mm-hmm. he starts moving in that direction a little bit in season three, uh, moves in that direction a little bit more in season four to a certain extent, to the point where, like, he is able to, like, put himself in harm's way for people that he deems better people than himself um, or people that he cares about at the very least. Um, like, it's going to take a lot of work for Sawyer to be the kind of guy who actively recognizes, like, a moment of heroism as, like, I got to jump off the helicopter right now. You know, like yeah. that's, we're not even close to being there because he's such a wounded animal. He hasn't be, been rehabilitated to that point. So him saying what he says to Charlie here, him doing everything he does in this episode, I worried that it would feel regressive when we got to this point. It actually feels very progressive for his yeah. story arc. Um, I love this episode so much. It's a personal favorite. Um, it is an episode that I will very happily watch anytime. Um, and it's, it's, it's not just one of my favorite episodes of season two, but it really is one of my very favorite episodes of lost. Um, it, this has just been such a blast to talk through and we still got more cause we still have, uh, a, a very robust feedback section, uh, mm-hmm. to get into here, Mike. But before, yeah, before we get into that, cause I want to close up the, uh, the flashback stuff. Cause we, we did skip over that a sure. bit, but we, we get to see sort of the tail end of the true long con to the long con where, uh, you know, Sawyer told Cassidy, hey, go, I'm going to help, you know, I'm going to tell Gordy that you're gone, I'm going to distract him, and he goes to sit down in this black car, and there's nobody in the driver's seat, which is a fun moment, fun uh, cinematography, but I also love this metaphor as well of, I mean, as Survivor fans, Josh, we know the whole idea about drivers and passengers, pilots and passengers, who's driving the car, but I love that, I mean, the long con is essentially backseat driving, right? It, it's It's telling someone how to drive the car without them realizing that you're the one talking from the back seat. And so we, we sort of see that throughout this episode where Sawyer doesn't need to be in the driver's position, but we see at the end of this episode that he's been in the driver's seat the entire time. And he, you know, he whispers some Mississippis under his breath, mm-hmm. uh, pulls out his own little Jack method. And then he goes back for the money, turns down the photo of, of Sawyer and Cassidy just to sort of, serve as a reminder of like, let's move on to the next thing. Yes, I put my heart in there, but that's a bad thing to do because I'm a bad person. And I totally co-sign everything you said about this being progressive, if not understandable, logical for the Sawyer character rather than just a regression. Because being the camp hero is something that he's not used to, not only on the island, but in his life. He is not used to people saying like, oh, I love you, you're such a good person, without him sort of supplementing that idea by saying, well, at least I'm going to get money out of this at the end of the day uh this this is a, a series of virtues that he's still exploring as a character and so it would make sense you know we talked so much about at the beginning of this season how the hatch is going to serve as sort of that mirror that makes some people really not like the reflections that they see sawyer has that in this episode but it's less so about through the hatch and like kate said it's not about the guns i think it's more so just him looking at the current situation with the camp the hash just seems to be an accessory here that he's going to be overpricing. Um, all right. Well, let's get into the feedback. And uh, it's funny that we were talking about, is this a regressive episode for Sawyer or a progressive episode for Sawyer? Because before we get into our feedback, Mike, I want to thank our sponsor 
for this week's episode of Down the Hatch. Support for today's episode comes from Progressive Insurance. Oh! Uh, Fun fact, Progressive customers qualify for an average of six discounts when they sign up for Progressive Auto Insurance. Discounts for things like enrolling in automatic payments, insuring more than one car, going paperless, and of course, being a safe driver. Plus, customers who bundle their auto with home or add renter's insurance save an average of 12% on their auto. There are so many ways to save when you switch. And once you're a customer with Progressive, you can get unmatched claim service with 24-7 support online or by phone. It's no wonder why more than 20 million drivers trust Progressive and why they've recently climbed to the third largest auto insurer in the country. So get a quote online at Progressive.com in as little as five minutes and see how much you could be saving. Auto insurance from Progressive Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, home and renter's insurance not available in all states, provided and serviced by affiliated and third-party insurers. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations. Mike, let's get into this. Uh, Let's get into the others a little bit further. Let's talk a little bit more about one of uh, Sawyer's con jobs in this episode. Dallin Servo had written in and said, who would ever buy jewelry from someone looking like Sawyer in a big trench coat at a gas station in the middle of nowhere? Uh, Dallin, he got in a bar fight. (laughs) Didn't you know? Don't you remember? Uh, Yeah, he got into a bar fight. He had the Band-Aid. He looked really super cool. Uh, And of course, it's uh, more an indictment on guy number one and guy number two. Uh, But no, did you know, uh, fun fact, not so fun for him, that this uh, comes from Carlton Cuse's own history. Uh, Carlton Cuse, this is, uh, this is something that happened with Carlton Cuse he talked about on The Lost Podcast, February 13th, 2006. Uh, the question was about what sort of research did this long con require? And you know, just as an admission, this is a quote from Carlton, the whole gas station con with the gold chains actually happened to me when I first came to LA. I was in a gas station with a friend of mine and it was in the show, basically. I got approached and was conned into buying some gold chains, one of which I gave to my girlfriend, now wife, and she obviously forgave me for the fact that it turned green about three days into her wearing it. So how about that? Carlton Cuse was guy number one. Oh my God. Wow. Did he describe particularly as like the guy came up with a bandage over his nose and was sort of like making goo-goo eyes at this one woman who approached me at the gas station? Yeah, must have. It's pretty good. Uh, could you imagine, maybe we get like a follow-up, maybe a web-only exclusive of guy number one's girlfriend being like, <laughs> yeah. oh my god, my neck turned green. Why did you do that? <laughs> oh my god. And it turns out they're all robots the entire time. Unbelievable. Um, Alright, let's 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 talk a little bit more about Kim Dickens joining the show. Uh, this is apparently uh, thanks to her connection with Elizabeth Sarnoff, one of the writers on Lost, who uh, was also um, somebody who had worked on, uh, on Deadwood, I believe. Uh, Dickens was suggested for the role of Cassidy by Sarnoff, but Dickens was also still on Deadwood, and she had to plead to be released so that she had the chance to film on Lost. Uh, Apparently, she loved her time on the show. She said they would just sort of fly me in, fit me, I'd shoot all day, and then fly out. And to get to work with Josh Holloway, of all people, it kind of doesn't get 
any better than that. We're going to see a lot of Kim Dickens on Lost. Not like yep. a ton, but a, a good amount of Cassidy. Uh, and that's great, because I, I think that she's a, a really strong supporting character in just sort of like the greater ensemble, especially as she relates to, to Kate. Once she and Kate are together, I really like those characters together. Yeah, I think four episodes total. I think we're going to get uh, the other big Sawyer flashback episode, Every Man for Himself. She'll be in Left Behind, yep. and then she'll make an appearance in the Flash Forwards, right? She'll be like his, her Kate's confidant once she uh, leaves the island. Um, let's talk a little bit about Owl Creek Bridge, which is the book that John Locke is uh, tearing apart when, when, when James walks in. Uh, this is courtesy of John Krauss. Uh, one of the books Locke is flipping through, it's an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, a great story written in 1886 that's considered the origin of the They Were Dead the Whole Time story point Ooh. in literature. Fun Easter egg. Uh, the book also included the extensive use of flashbacks and unintelligible, mysterious whispers in the woods and was turned into an episode of The Twilight Zone. Well, I'm certainly glad that, you know, the, the larger populace of Lost fans were not hugely well-read of an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, or that would just further confuse their own interpretations of the Lost ending. Um, all right, some more feedback from the Ben behind the curtain. What's the weakest spot in Sawyer's Con where the whole thing could have easily failed? Uh, Mike, is it when Sawyer gets asked by Kate to go to Locke? Uh, does, like, does, does Sawyer have to be the person that goes to Locke and says, hey, they're coming for the guns, and does it have to be Kate's idea? Like, what if she doesn't come up with that idea? I wonder if maybe another point could have been, and I know he probably couldn't have helped taunting Jack when Jack and Jan come to the hatch, but, like, I could imagine in another world that Jack's like, oh, yeah, Sawyer was really ticked off that I went through his stash and threatened me. There's a possible thing where he could have gotten somebody to, like, steal all, get locked to hide all the guns for his own betterment and to piss me off. Right. Yeah. Uh, also, just, like, the whole, like, yeah. Like, Charlie, you're going to have to beat up Sun. <laughs> you know, maybe not something that, like, would have necessarily flown. He just happened to catch Charlie in the right moment. Yeah, because then Charlie could have very easily <laughs> been, like, Charlie could have easily ratted him out. Like, he could have been like, oh, I'll, I'm going to gain the points. I'm going to throw Sawyer under the bus and go to Locke and be like, uh, BT Dubs, uh, you know, Sawyer wanted me to put this bag over Sun's head. I know it's of horrible quality, and that makes it even doubly offensive. Uh, Andre the Meat Man asks us, how do you create something so Machiavellian? Which is basically a reflection of Charlie's question. We know Sawyer's answer is, I'm not a good person. Um, and this is all very bad stuff that Sawyer is doing, if very impressive. But isn't this also sort of just like, it's like Survivor, you know? Yeah. He's playing Survivor. It's very, uh, this is like lost Scott Tennerman must die, mm -hmm. you know, where he just like, he has this, he feels, uh, he feels, he feels like he needs to gain a one up on somebody. And so he goes through this entire elaborate plot. But yeah, after watching this episode, I'm very saddened that Sawyer did not do better on our lost simulation that we did a while back because uh, but those are the hands and the, that's not in our hands. Yeah, we I know that those are, those are the hands of the, of the branch yes. gods of it all. <laughs> but I mean, you feel like on paper, he's the most naturally adept for that type of game, right? Like again, we are just coming a day off of arguably one of the biggest, uh, cons slash plans in survivor history at the hands of Tony Vlacos. And I can imagine Sawyer would try to construct something very similar like that. If he were on the show, uh, Daniel Brennan asks for someone who's so easily saw through the confidence man gimmick. How did Cassidy not realize that she was enmeshed in the long con? This seems especially egregious considering Sawyer defined what a long con was. She came up with the idea and she provided the money. Come on, Cassidy. Yeah. Mike, are you disappointed that there isn't like a secret scene where Cassidy and Sawyer are just hanging out one day, like they're grilling in their backyard? 
backyard because they have a backyard now. Drinking mojitos. Drinking mojitos. He's making steak sandwiches. He's drinking two beers. And she just kind of looks at him and is just like, hey, is this the long con? <laughs> it's, it's like, is this the long con? He's like, no. Cassidy. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Uh, I Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I wonder if it's honestly just as simple as, like, she got emotionally invested. And he did to a certain extent, but he is somebody who is able to sort of separate his heart uh, from the con that he's running. This is obviously the first one that she's done, so she sort of fell for the mark in a way, even though she didn't realize that the mark was Oh, so hi, harsh. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, she throws down her water bottle in frustration when she gets to that motel and finds out that... Uh, actually, I do think guy number one and guy number two <laughs> probably went to the Tommy Wiseau school of acting, so now it all comes full circle. Isn't that what Jack said when Anna Lucia asked, are you hitting that? He said, I did not hit her. I did not. <laughs> oh, hi, Bernard. Uh, yeah, I, I think that... Yeah, I think it honestly just is as simple as Cassidy really trusted him and thought that, you know, she thought they had a, a future together as a partnership, much like a lot of these characters on the island. And what Sawyer showed is, at this point, he's willing to cut any ties because he feels like he does not deserve to be tied to anybody. And nor do people deserve to be tied to him because he's a bad person. Uh, all right. Jason Perry has something pretty hot. Jason Perry comes in with a hot idea. Jason Perry says, I think I've made a fix that would both save Charlie's character and fix the problems with Shannon and Boone. What happens if we swap the deaths for Charlie and Shannon? Charlie gets Anna Lucia before he goes down this unpleasant season two arc and can leave the show on a high point in his relationship with Claire. Shannon gets Charlie's season three arc with Desmond. And if Shannon is the one to die in the looking glass after contacting Penny, she comes full circle with Boone's death and fulfills Boone's last action. What do you think about that, Mike? That's like wow. a very spicy, uh, you know, changing the timeline suggestion that I don't know that I'm furious with. I've never heard this suggestion never, before. Never, never. You learn something new every day. Jason Perry with the spicy take. I think like in the long run, I'm glad that it is what it is because the Charlie stuff is so iconic. But knowing Maggie Grace's potential as an actor, uh, I think it could have been good. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's so interesting because I'm trying to think of, like, how would Abandon look? So does that, that mean in this in this version of events, like, Saeed and Shannon have broken up over something and Shannon has had, like, Boone-style hallucinations in the jungle that caused her to take, like, one of Saeed's precious pieces of technology and run it out into the ocean and she got beaten up by Locke and for some reason everybody forgives Locke for beating up Shannon? Or it could be something where Shannon was so mournful of Boone's death that she found the heroine and started to become Oh addicted. God! <laughs> yep, such a nightmare. We're opening up that can of worms. What a what a nightmare! Uh, in this timeline, Shannon uh, on one of her walks with because she goes on these walks with Sun, she knows Sun's route, so she's able to team up with Sawyer and knock out Sun pretty easily. Yeah, I will say I do like the Shannon and Sawyer partnering more, maybe because it's the whole light sticks thing yeah. from season one, whereas yeah. the Charlie and Sawyer thing just never really connected. Charlie getting shot, that'd be interesting, because I guess what would, like, collision, I don't know, it does it... Payback for unloading on Ethan in the jungle, too. 
Right, but then is like is Claire like in the Saeed role where like she's aggressive and super despondent and depressed no. throughout the rest of the season? No, too? no, just look no further than the way that uh, Claire reacts to Charlie's actual death, where she's very sad about it that night, but quickly she's got other things that she's yeah, and then be she leaves about. the show for a season. Yeah, like she doesn't really spend too much time uh, super worried about Charlie. Yeah. Oh, this is so interesting. This is so interesting. I, I, like this, I like this thought experiment of yeah. like. I'm, and I guess this also helps wrap up the plot hole that uh, Charlie can't swim, considering that like we we don't know Shannon's swimming skills. For all we know, Shannon maybe one of the various things that Sabrina uh, enlisted Shannon in when she was a teenager was swimming lessons from an Olympic swimmer. You know, so now she's uh, she learned from Greg Luganis how to uh-huh. dive down <laughs> yeah. so many levels. Uh, here's another one. Uh, Dallin Servo says, "How did Hurley connect the dots to Boone talking with Bernard on the radio with Bernard? Uh, yeah, because Boone's dead." Uh, so how does he know from, uh, from Bernard that Bernard was talking to Boone? I mean, we, uh, well, we, I think that, does, did Locke know that Boone was talking on the radio? Uh, yeah, I think so. But does anybody know that, like, there's no way that anyone would have heard Boone's side of the conversation, even Locke. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Bernard was, when Bernard gave Hurley the radio, he was like, I got oh, it. Okay. Go I ahead. Cracked go ahead. it. I cracked it. Hurley is going to be the man in charge at the end of Lost. Mm-hmm. Hurley, as per my uh, theoretical suggestions, is going to be like, "I'm in charge now. Why don't we do the time travel thing more often? Time travel is really fun, you guys." And they're going to travel back in time, thousands of years. So like, there's no statue here. Oh, we build the statue. Let's build the statue. That's how the Fortitude statue gets built. Why, if Hurley's in charge, doesn't he just like go around and like revisit some of his friends, especially people that he really likes, uh, that maybe not be they might not be alive anymore? So what if, Mike, there are a few instances on Lost where the Hurley we're seeing isn't the Hurley of the the current timeline, but is actually future Hurley? DJ DJ Dom himself, Doctor Who you wit, traveling back in time and here in this moment. Is traveling back in time to hang out with Saeed. Uh, let's listen to some radio stuff. Let's listen to the radio together. Let's have a fun night together. Let me wink, wink, nod, nod, nudge, nudge at time travel because that's what I'm doing right now. I'm the Hurley mm-hmm. of the future. And this Hurley maybe even traveled back and saw Boone die in the, the plane crash. Maybe he was watching from a cliff. Maybe he's seen it before, so he knows that that's what happened to Boone. That he was so talking then, to Bernard. In this case... Though is Hurley is one of the reasons that Hurley is like going to Saeed and these scenes feel so removed is because like he doesn't want to run into himself. Like, are we feeling like present day Hurley is still around, or did he like quantum leap into present day Hurley? No, he totally he totally gets whatever happened happened rules at this point. He knows that past him never saw future him, so he doesn't even have to be that worried about it. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, he's got to be worried about it insofar as like his own future self. Like, is he going to get uh, caught and like? Because his his yeah, past is now his present. Is, is past Hurley going to shoot him? Unless uh, he Eloise Hawking. Un, unless he is such a time travel fan at this point that he's also like fast forwarded very far into the future and and has seen old man Hurley and has had a conversation with him. And old man Hurley is like, dude, I've been waiting. Uh, yeah, because there was that point in time where you traveled into the future to meet me, old man Hurley, to make sure that like things work out pretty smoothly for us if you want to go and screw around with time travel. And it's like, yeah, dude, do everything. Do everything you're doing. You're fine. So I'm here. 
I think you've stumbled upon the perfect thing we can use to cover any plot hole. Yes, this is what I've been saying. Future Hurley. Yeah. Time travel really fixes a lot of the problems with Lost. Uh, We'll we'll use this (laughs) as Some people say the exact opposite. No, no. No, no. No, absolutely not. Um, All right, some gun continuity from Jim Fells. The gun continuity is an underappreciated part of the show. Sawyer forgets about the gun Aunt Lucia kept after she took it from Saeed and Collision. Anna gives this gun to Jack and SOS, and Jack, along with Locke and Kate, uses it in the following episode to force Sawyer to give the guns back. This way, the four main people Sawyer manipulates in this episode get their revenge on him. Pretty Ooh, sweet. Pretty cool. The Connie has become the Connor. Yeah. The Sarah Connor, speaking of time travel. Connie, Indiana. Uh, from Jesse Camacho. Uh, wanted to talk about like the Sawyer and the Kate and the Jack of it all. Uh, the great Jesse Camacho writes in and says, I believe sometime either in late season one or early in season two, the writers decided that Sawyer and Kate, not Kate and Jack, were going to be endgame. Before I continue, I should be up front. I have been and always will be a diehard skater fan. Uh, skater boy even uh, so this may be slightly biased so please don't at me please do at Jesse Camacho lovely human being to interact Wait, with can we just say I've never heard the skater portmanteau uh, it was like skate and jate were the, were the portmanteaus <laughs> at the time I certainly remember jate is fate a lot of people would say jate is fate uh, skater has a better ring to it I think than coyer yeah, I think, well, coir sounds like, I a don't fish. know, some sort of like, yeah, some sort of like fishing instrument. Yeah. Uh, where to get skater, the co- using the koi pond. Yeah, and skater feels very like, I don't know, like late 90s punk s, which makes sense given that Sawyer and Kate are such rebels outside of the island. Um, all right, so, so uh, Jesse continues. There are various times throughout the series where it seems clear to be that the writers were setting up an eventual Sawyer and Kate happy ending. Uh, Jesse says he's going to write in and address those moments as they come along. Uh, but somewhere around season five, when the writers saw how overwhelmingly popular Sawyer and Juliet were is where they shifted course to the Jack and Kate ending. Um, in the Jack and Kate moment in what Kate did uh, earlier this season, Kate is completely frantic and believes she's losing her mind. I believe Kate reaches out to Jack thinking he can fix it. It's what he does after all, but when the kiss ends, she doesn't feel better. Jack was not the solution, and she sprints off even more scared and confused than she was before. It's only when she admits to her feelings for Sawyer and takes him for a walk and sees the horse that she truly realizes she isn't going to nuts. Again, it's an overarching theory that has many points throughout the show, but this is the first one. Uh, Jesse, who uh, appears on Lock and Key, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. is, a, is a great part of Lock and Key from Carlton Cuse. Jesse writes in and says, even though I'm currently working with Carlton Cuse on Lock and Key, I've never asked him about this. I'm still too nervous to admit to him that I'm as big of a fan uh, of Lost as I am, so it's definitely not canon. Sorry, Carlton. Please don't kill me off. <laughs> Ooh, Jesse's going to get a vegetable in the no, air from season no. two of Lock and Key. Hopefully not. No. Well, yeah, we I know mean, Carlton Key is big down the hatch, listener. So you're in you're in uh, very dangerous territory here, Jesse. Yeah, I mean, and Jesse even leaves one other big point off the table from what Kate did. Uh, Sawyer says he loves Kate in his delirium. True. So that's another big point towards the skater of it all. Totally true. Uh, we mentioned Jim Fells before. How about the Jim Fells music analysis this week? So believe it or not, Josh, we are nearly 40 episodes in. This episode, the long con, is the first one to not introduce any new motifs or themes, according to the great Jim Fells. Again, season two is a lot about repurposing old themes and making them resonant. So, you know, obviously lots and lots and lots of Sawyer stuff. Uh, It's also, I should also mention that uh, the video for this week with Jim Fells was actually doubled up 
with uh, one of them because one of them also does not have any new themes or okay. motifs. So they're a bit of a, a double header. So I encourage you as always to check it out. It's more of a, a bite-sized look at these two episodes side by side. Cool. Uh, and uh, speaking of a, of, of a, of two for the road, essentially a double header, uh, Dallin Servo reports two more dudes in the dude count. So we're up to 94 dudes. Ooh, we're nearing that centennial dude, Mark. All right, let's get into our 23 points, our MVP and LVP section. Mike has two MVP points to dish out. I've got three. I've got two LVP points. Mike has three. Uh, and I'll start uh, and say that two of mine are going to James Sawyer Ford. Now, look, Ooh. I know that what he does here is not exactly palatable, but he does it so well. And that's been a criteria <laughs> of mine in the past. It's just like the effectiveness with which the he does the thing. You know, I'm I'm admiring the craftsmanship, um, and I'm I'm giving that second point uh, for the the strong quality of of Josh Holloway's performance, uh, and I think a really great job characterizing him this week from the writer's perspective. Um, it's just such a great Sawyer episode, one of my very favorites in the whole show, and I know what he does is bad, uh, but I love him so much, and I think that he's so good here. Uh, so I'm gonna give two points to Sawyer. I'm going to give a point to Saeed. He's able to, uh, you know what, for what it's worth, the radio does not go anywhere, even if it's bouncing off the ionosphere and, you know, 70 years into the past. But he does fix the radio. So I got to give him credit there. And it's also a great setup for what's sure to be a very interesting MVP LVP section next week. Uh, so my next MVP, so I guess my final MVP, because I gave two to Sawyer, I'll give to Kate, as I mentioned before, for the reasons before. I, I, I really love her confrontation with Sawyer, that she's like co- going at this so earnestly. She really wants to help the crew. She thinks that she and Sawyer are in it together, that they're both outcasts, that they're both being pushed out of the core group. And because of that, they are seeing something that nobody else is seeing. And little does she know she's getting played. And I think that her reaction to getting played is very human and very, very good and just a really great Evangeline Lilly scene. So uh, very happy with that choice. And let's stay on the trail of someone who's soon to become her BFF both in Flashback and Off-Island. I'm going to give my last MVP point to Cassidy here. And I know that Daniel Brennan in particular, considering the the email he sent us in the other section, would probably disagree that this was an MVP episode for Cassidy, considering she gets conned. But I mean, you know, she was able to run a good relationship with Sawyer. She learned to con people. She learned the Tulsa bag drop of it all. And she was someone who was able to, you know, get Sawyer to actually uh, get feelings for her, which is tough to do to break the tough exterior of James Sawyer Ford. And I think Kim Dickens, as you mentioned, does a, a good job here. And it's the first of a few appearances. So I want to get the ball rolling here. All right. Let's get into the LVPs. Mike, you've got three. Kick us off. Charlie, yeah, son. It's not a good look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My first LVP point also goes to Charlie. He knocked out Son, or at least like directly led to Son getting knocked out. And I know it's Sawyer's plan, but this is in Sawyer's wheelhouse. Charlie signed off on this in like three seconds. Like, so, like- Sawyer probably didn't even finish telling him what to do, and Charlie was like, "Yep, into it, into it, into it." So this is a bad look on Charlie. Yeah. And I didn't give Charlie any knocks last week. I blamed it all on heroin. But there only comes <laughs> there comes a point where you can't blame all your troubles on heroin anymore. And this one is just laid at Charlie's feet. So yeah, maybe it's yeah. like a leftover uh, LVP point from last week from me to Charlie. But I'm definitely I'm doubling up on Charlie with you. One one from you to Charlie. One from me. Yeah, to the point where he's like, oh, no, heroin has nothing to do with that. This was, yeah, yeah, this no, is all me. All this me. is all, no, don't worry. Don't bring heroin to, into yeah. this. But yeah, even when you have the character himself being like, this was rough. Like, woof, don't let tell son that this happened because this was a bad thing. 
it's a guaranteed LVP point. I, I mentioned this throughout the, the recap. I'm going to give one to Locke here. Like, you could argue that one should go to, like, Locke and Kate and Jack and Anna Lucia for getting tricked so much. But, like, it falls onto a lock, a lock a lot for me uh, just because between, like, him being the one to bring the guns out, him not realizing Charlie was tailing him, him he was the one that was really the linchpin to Sawyer's con here. If he doesn't move those guns... Sawyer does not get said guns. And so I have to, you know, throw him a point here for really getting bunkoed. Uh, I'm going to have to give uh, my next LVP point to the parking lot, guys. <laughs> guy number one and guy number two, come on down. And you can share the point. So it's just a one point on guy number no, one. No, I, no, I want them two. to be one amorphous blob of uh, men. Uh, so guy one plus two. Uh, one is fire, one is water. Uh, they will they will get a negative point for my LVP point for all the reasons that are outlined. Sorry, <laughs> with apologies to Carlton Cues, I suppose. <laughs> all right, well, I'll stay on the flashback trail. I'm going to give my final LVP point to Mr. Chicken Salad, the Veginator <laughs> himself, Gordy, his only appearance here, but man, has he made an impact in the lore of... Can you, imagine, can, can you imagine if Gordy and Michael ever crossed paths? Oh, Michael the tree, God. Gordy the veggie man, like... Is it possible that Gordy exists within Sun's Garden? Mm, Sun's, interesting. Sun's Gordine? I can imagine maybe in like a season four, Gordy mm-hmm. is brought on as part of like the, the freighter people. And so not only does he have a run in with Michael, he goes on the island and he runs into Sun's Garden and then he's just stacked to the nines. Like Edward Kimi is a deadly and merciless person. But he hasn't met Gordy yet, and Gordy is ten times worse. Yeah, I think Gordy uh, being one of the vegetables planted in Sun's garden uh, and being ripped out of the garden and thrown away so Sun kills Gordy uh, in in an episode long before Gordy shows up in the episode where Sun gets kidnapped in her garden uh, as retroactive vengeance, I believe, is canonically confirmed. Yeah, and I believe also, I guess you could say, like, the Hatch killed Gordy as well, considering that uh-huh. nobody was really relying on the garden anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just due to just disrepair and overgrowth, Gordy ends up dying there, overgorth. Yeah, overgorth. Jesus, God. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, so so let's give some updates on where things stand now with the MVP, LVP rankings. Mr. Recco is still in a comfortable lead here in Season 2, but uh, classic MVP points getter, Saeed Jarrah, not terribly far behind right now. Echo mm-hmm. out in front with 11 points, but after a couple of weeks in a row of stagnation, here is Saeed climbing the charts. Uh, he's got 7 to Mr. Echo's 11. Uh, so uh, with the Saeed flashback episode next week coming up, who knows how this needle shifts? Now, here's something pretty shocking. Uh, we we like talked about the LVP MVP points, and I was looking at them, and I was like, "This can't be right." Uh, we got to do some recalculations. Uh, and the great Ben behind the curtain did do some calculating and made sure that everything is up to snuff. And with two more negative points tacked onto him this week, not only is Charlie the current clincher of the LVP award for season two, unless uh, things really changed for him. He's at negative seven points right now in season two. Um, wow. And he is uh, coming in pretty hot for the, the totals of <sighs> down the hatch. Anthony Cooper is still the leader at negative six points um, for the full run of down the hatch through uh, the long con so far. And because of some you know plus points Charlie's had along the way, Charlie in the overall leaderboard is at negative four. Um, but that's dangerous territory for Ooh. Charlie Pace. 
I mean, I'm expecting a bounce back for season three, but I don't think we'll forget the doldrums that Charlie is going through. But yeah, I mean, Charlie, Charlie is beneath Wayne, Jason McCormack, Sabrina, the classist um, Jin's boss at the hotel, Anson Mount, the fiance douche, Susan. Like this is even from a season two perspective, Charlie has been able to beat out the rogues gallery of down the hatch here, which is truly insane. It's pretty crazy. So that's where things stand right now with the LVPs, MVPs. Let's get to 4.2 stars. Let's rate the long con. I give a score from one to, from zero to 4.2. So does Mike, the audience average as well. We combine those three scores for the down the hatch score. And I'm not an insane person, but I'm close to it. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm relatively close to being an insane person. And there's no universe where I'm saying that the long con is an essential episode of Lost, but it's an absolute favorite episode of mine. It is a very classic port in the season two storm. And not that season two has been bad by any stretch of the imagination, but when you just you go back and you look at some of these points, these are this is what I've given uh season two so far. Uh, a 4.2 for the premiere, a 2.1 for the second episode, a 4 for the third episode, a 3.2 for Everybody Hates Hugo, so, you know, fairly middle of the road by Lost it's Standards. Very up and down. You know, like, like a, a bunch of episodes that are like sort of like in the mid to low threes, uh, including, you know, what Kate did recently. We just come, came off of Fire Plus Water. I think what the long con is for me is it's an episode that feels very, very classic, feels very, very season one. And there are a lot of episodes that feel season one in a bad way uh, along the way over these first three seasons of Lost. Uh, really, like, you know, looking at seasons two and three, I think there's some episodes that are like, this is something that Lost would have done in its first season, and they're not doing it very well. Um and then there are the episodes where they're doing something that you could have found in the first season at a really high level. Trisha mm-hmm. Tanaka is a big example of that for me, as far as like an episode that just like bleeds joy, uh, just like exudes joy and the spirit of adventure in a beautifully low stakes way. And I think the long con, it's, it's relatively low stakes in the grand scheme of things, even though it sets up a lot of future action in season two. Um, but it, it doesn't exude joy so much as it really exudes character uh, and exudes some really great funny moments as well, um, but just has such like a greatly crafted storyline, has such an all-star performance from Josh Holloway. I can't give it a perfect 4.2 score because I'm going to give myself the permission to do that for an episode like Trisha Tanaka, but I'm going to get really damn close and I'm going to give the long con a freaking 4.1. Which wow. I know is a big score for an episode like this, but it's a personal favorite. At me, I don't care. I'm giving yeah, it a 4.1. I'll uh, I'll copy and paste what I said last week about my own score for Fire Plus Water. This is your score. You do whatever the hell you want with it. Uh, that being said, I'm not too far away from you. I Now that we're in the course of Down the Hatch and we start to have multiple flashback episodes, I think I've started to personally... Uh, take up the habit of comparing flashback episodes to each other. Same, yeah. The the other, so the long con, the big one I was personally comparing it to was Outlaws, which at this point was uh, the, the better of the two Sawyer flashback episodes for me. I really, really loved Outlaws. I thought that was another great character study. The flashbacks were stellar. It has two, you know, really, really iconic and important scenes in the Jack and Sh- Sawyer stuff in the bar and Kate and Sawyer playing I Never. Even has Locke's creepy dog sister story. The long con, I'm, I've been really trying to figure out if I like it better or if I like it worse. And I settled 
being a little bit of a fancy Fenserton, I'm going to give it the exact same score I gave Outlaws, which is a 3.9. I think this episode, there's a reason why we went super long on this one. I think it really delves perfectly into the character of Sawyer, especially looking at it now through the lens of who he's going to become and who he's been. It's a lot more nuanced than I think we looked at at first glance, where it was just, oh, Sawyer and Charlie are going back to their season one selves. What the hell is Lost doing? They should have ended this thing after season one. They don't know where they're going. There's a lot of really interesting stuff coming in from a character perspective. I think the flashbacks, well, it does contain some rather unique characters, show a new side of Sawyer uh, as somebody who, you know, what happens when he gets his heart in the game? That's the first time I'm really seeing that from someone like Sawyer outright and how he's confronted with what he wants versus what he thinks he deserves. The actual con on the island, I think, is very well done and very well displayed, you know, very well built up. It doesn't make the rest of our characters look good, but as a Sawyer episode, I think it is so much fun. I'm going to dock it points uh, because, again, I I know you're a fan of the Saeed and Hurley stuff. Again, I, I would take or leave it. It's fine, serviceable, not necessarily needed in this episode in particular, but there's a lot of good stuff here, and I will say very, very good bounce back from Fire Plus Water. I'm very happy to remember this episode, because I will admit that was something that receded into my gray memory of Lost Season 2 in particular, and I'm happy when we go re-reinvestigate this series, and I will always remember now this as a nice little momentum builder into what is sure to be a very, very fun next Yeah, week. I'm really excited about starting to get into the the quote-unquote Henry Gale stuff. Uh, with Yeah, uh, the Benry Hegelinus. Yes, it's going to be really, really fun to start getting into Ben. I mean, this is our... This really does feel like the end of an era to a certain yeah. degree, this episode, because once we go Ben, we don't go back. You know, once Michael Emerson steps into the show, it's a game changer. It changes so much of the energy of Lost for the better, I think, ultimately. Like, I think it's... it's it, it's amazing that we have so enthusiastically discussed Lost up to this point, and we have like barely brought up the name Benjamin Linus, and now we're never going to stop talking about him. Um, so this is kind of an end of an era uh, here with the long con, and I think it's just such a masterful uh, craft of, of an episode that could feel like a one-off. Um, I, I just really, really, really love it. Uh, you and I are both higher on this than the audience score. The audience score is a 3.6. Um, but with my 4.1, your 3.9, the audience score of a 3.6, that gives us a 3.85. And the long con is actually top four baby, top five baby. Wow. Even. Fourth place uh, among the season two offerings as it stands. Maybe a little high for some people. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would say looking at these scores again, not to single anybody out, seems like nearly everyone had it in the three range. Certainly saw some high threes. I saw a four point two in there and a four as well. So you are certainly not alone. Now I did see one little one point eight sticking out there. No judgment cast towards them. We all had you know different strokes for for different folks. Uh, but we had a lot of fun covering the long con. And hopefully, those that were not as big fans of the long con could at least appreciate the episode the way we did. For sure. All right. So next week, one of them, side giraffe flashback, the arrival of the artist occasionally known as Henry Gale, more popularly known as Benjamin Linus. Really excited about that. That's going to be dropping May first. It'll be our first uh, down the hatch of May. Uh, get your feedback in by the morning of April 28th. You can send that our way down the hatch at pushorecaps.com. You can tweet at us at pushorecaps. I'm at Rand Howard. Mike is at a Mike Bloom type. Your ratings and reviews greatly, greatly appreciated. So much going on on post show recaps right now between down the hatch, the Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch over at Everything Is Super. We just wrapped Iron Man two. 
this week. There's some sporadic Final Fantasy VII remake coverage happening here as well. Westworld is barreling towards the end of the line. Better Call Saul has just wrapped that we have a bonus feedback podcast still to record. And Killing Eve is happening as well. So a lot happening here on Post Show Recaps. We hope you're enjoying all the stuff. Uh, we hope you take our stuff. Yeah, you can, you can go through our stash. Like, our yeah. stash is our podcast. Feel free to distribute them to the masses, especially during this time. And people are, I've actually seen, you know, a lot of people start to binge Lost. I certainly got a couple of messages of people saying, okay, I finally decided to start watching Lost or start to rewatch Lost. And if that's the case, and if you happen to know people that might want a little tiny podcast that puts out two and a half to three hour podcasts every so week about, yeah. about Lost, uh, be, be sure to let us know. And always your reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated, even though we are nearing the second half of season two of Lost. It's always nice to sort of have those perk up in the podcast charts, especially as the world is changing around us. All right, so we will, uh, a certain end of an era here on Down the Hatches. We're about to get into the Ben Linus of it all. Really looking forward to it. Take care, everybody. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. Four, eight, 